everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. Have you ever wanted to know what caused your catastrophic injury? One day you're feeling great, and the next day you are a shell of the young go-hard you once were. Right, Luke? Dr. Craig Bueller of AMIT Institute breaks down the most common cause for that seemingly random yet massive injury. As he explains, the best athletes in the world have found incredible adjustments using the surrounding muscle tissue of a particular joint to overcome pain. That compensation, in addition to the cascading effect of multiple muscular inhibitions, is precisely why we see so many crazy injuries in the pros, which appear to come out of nowhere. Dr. Bueller lays down the science of why these injuries occur and exactly what he does to get those pro athletes back in fighting shape here it is episode 326 our athlete nation what is up what's happening uh, this nothing. is another episode of the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. Conditioning. Ing. Ing. We ing, got the ing, intern ing. to fill in. You know, today, John, uh, a buddy of mine, Bo Orlando, reached out, and every Friday he's been sending these riddles that are, um, like, as part of it, one of these subscriptions he's on. And uh, it, was, it was fun to start a Friday with a riddle, so I thought maybe uh-huh. we could start this episode with a riddle. What has two Lego feet, wears women's boat shoes, and has an awful haircut and won't be joining us today. Um, hmm. Is it McQuilkin? Yeah, ding, ding, <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Ladies and gentlemen, as you know, it is Power Athlete Radio tradition. If one of the three hosts, I guess one of the co-hosts or well, featured no, no, guests. No, so I am the featured guest. Yes, so that if and one I'm a of, co-host. So if it's missing a featured guest or a co-host, then usually burn ban is on. The burn ban is off. Oh, it's off. Yeah, the ban is off. Oh, okay. So but, that means you get roasted. So we're setting fire. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, McQuilkin's not here today. He's out there. You know well, what? what well, did he, he's on a boating excursion no, with a bunch of bros. No. Did you see his video on Barstool? <laughs> uh, where he, you know, had a bit of a meltdown in a bagel shop. Oh, yeah. Uh, about those women, <laughs> you know, taking shots at him because uh-huh. he's short and they're snickering and laughing at him. Yeah. And this happens on dating sites. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you guys haven't seen Barstool, Tex is on there. He uh, angry. Then, I th- I'm sure if you Googled like angry small man. No, video, it's uh, he's it. an angry little man. Uh-huh. And then the best part is he gets up in some, you know, big guy who's like five, six, his face. And the guy like tackles him across and just drills him. Mm-hmm. And then they went See, through. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And then he goes through and he's, uh, you know, periodically been assaulting people by the fact that, you know, he's just kind of a angry weed, little guy. Uh, he's, a, he's a weed little man. Or maybe you're just a height supremacist and you should be embracing the smaller, normal sized uh, people. I never realized that I was so much drastically taller than you guys until... Uh, we posted the picture for the Caulfield. Um, you know, we had uh, yeah, uh, normal, yeah, Caulfield on our podcast, and yeah. we posted that picture. And uh, you guys are like this, and no, so that's optics. You're up closer to the camera, so obviously on perspective <laughs> side, you're gonna be, you're gonna look bigger. But uh, I, I, I'm I just, pretty sure we're about approximately uh, the same. I size. just was laughing the fact <laughs> that like Scott Caulfield and like you were about the same size. You guys are like a legitimately a head taller than Tex, and then you guys are coming up somewhere to like my <laughs> mid bicep. And then I realized that's the reason that Tex uh, has, you know, the haircut he does because his head is always in this cocked up angle because he has to look up at everybody, even small children. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, what's funny for Tex is uh, 
I guess I don't know if this is going to be a spoiler. I think we will have talked about it last time, but like we get, we've get all these awesome tests, whether it's through uh, our jaw alignment tests or like these uh, DEXA scans or like the stool sample. And, you know, he's, he's the lowest performer in the gym and he'll, he'll self admit like, Oh, definitely a try hard athlete, not gifted, like try hard athlete. But yeah, he has zero inflammation. He's the most aligned and most like put yeah, together he, of all of us. He, yeah. Well, we, we had Dr. Greg on who set him in for the jaw said that his jaw structure was, was perfect. Perfect. Yeah, it was perfect. He was anatomically jaw set up. He got his uh, one, uh, one jeopardy done and he perfect. had like low inflammation, had, had great like gut bacteria, um, uh, variety, had all these things yeah, and, he, and he lives off Modelo and Euro meat like and, and, I'm, and, and, and I'm laughing thinking like there's really no reason we haven't been able to yeah. test like at least if like ah his gut inflammation was high his jaw is yeah. off you know he's he doesn't have this or that but and no. that's kind of like the secret I remember getting the blood panel one of the first panels I got from Inky and like it came back I was just low on a ton of like my spectra cell stuff yeah. and I'm like kind of you're like fuck but then you also have this realization like okay I could feel better. Yeah. Right. And then like, that's what we're thinking on this longevity thing is like, what if it comes back? Well, Oh, there's, there's room to go. Well, so I got the longevity done in parallel with, uh, Dr. Tom's sample. And so, uh, I got to go through cause it's much more detailed. Uh, but the one that was really interesting is for some reason I am super low in, uh, in iron and B12 Mm -hmm. in your gut. Uh, no, just systemically. So like, uh, like, I was low in B vitamins um, based on the longevity deal, but I was high. Like, it's just kind of interesting that like. Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to look at the sequence here, John, like if we're going to be talking about this before or after the release of this episode. But we have an episode. It's either before or after this one. Yeah. Where we go into detail with with the longevity folks. Yeah. So so uh, it's pretty fascinating. But then like getting like all my blood work done, uh, realizing that, yeah, like I have some like low level. um, I. I didn't have, oh, so the inflammation was different on Dr. Tom's than the longevity, which I thought was interesting. But uh, my formicuities uh, to... Formicuities to bacterioides? Yeah. Bacterioides? I'm not saying any of these right. Uh, Was a little kind of interesting. And like, uh, but... Being able to go through and like I, and I, I I got all this blood work in and I'm going through it and I'm like texting Dr. Tom because uh, he and Bueller keep calling and like talking shit to me, which I think is funny because they get together and like it's kind of like similar to like us. I'm not there. So then they're just basically just <laughs> ripping on me and texting me. But um, we went through it and I was like, Tom, like, hey, is, you know, my biggest thing when he sends the blood work, is there anything that like we have to know today? Yeah. Is there anything like crazy? And he's always like, no, nah, it all looks pretty run of the mill. And so... He, but like, we'll schedule a time and then we'll go through like history of like, hey, you know, we did the Cleveland Heart thing and we, we have five years of testing with this and then we go through this. And uh, what he's really looking for like is big changes. And the crazy one um, we were looking at was like, um, uh, I think I was low in B vitamins, I was low in iron. And so I always ask Tom, like, where does this happen? You know, what is, you know, I, I eat a high protein, but I should, I should be plenty high in B12. And what it comes down to is sometimes there's some systemic gut inflammation that's binding up receptor sites that doesn't allow you to absorb the nutrients the way. Right. And so you become so, deficient. So you become deficient. So a lot of times, like, and this kind of plays into with what Craig is, people do a one-to-one. Oh, if I'm low in B vitamins, I just need to take more B vitamins. And that's not the problem. You need to sometimes figure out some of that low-level gut inflammation. 
And so um, what I'm really interested on is, um, you know, like, I don't think if we looked at it like an acute deal, like you're acute, like you're low that day. Mm -hmm. But I think the idea is that if you're systemically low over time, now all of a sudden problems start manifesting kind of similar. And this actually plays into a lot with Dr. Bueller, like, you know, a acute injury isn't much of an issue, but then when you have this like, you know, a chronic injury, cascading, compounding effects of, of all these yeah, like like this injury cascades into this injury, and he talked about here, and now you change the joint angle because of this and this and this, and now you're in a situation where like, you know, hey, all these problems. And the other crazy thing is, um, you know, uh, Cal Dietz's RPR, uh, and Cal Dietz thinks that Craig Bueller's work, what he does M, is some of the greatest stuff ever done. Cal Dietz is like, you know, uh, Craig's work solved a lot of our issues and a lot of problems, and is like speaks volumes about what Craig does is some of the most revolutionary stuff. And I was like, man, like, and he's, and I'm always constantly like, Hey, you want to go out there? I mean, he's a good friend of mine. You know, we go to dinner. So, Mm -hmm. um, it's, uh, it's really, um, I think it comes down to having the most up to date current information and being able to kind of tick the boxes. I think like, in my opinion, if you're doing a power athlete training program, you're following by far, I believe, and I'm not saying it because, you know, this is our deal, but I think in terms of like cutting edge, some of the best performance training out there, our nutrition recommendations, uh, you know, the idea of, uh, you know, reducing gut inflammation and ramping up immune function. But then even though, you know, we recommend a diet that's low within inflammation, ramp up immune function, you still have to go get the testing done to figure out if what you were doing is actually working. Right, because there's no one size fits all. Yeah, there's there's no, individuality to all of this stuff. But yeah. for the most part, you're getting some pretty yeah. good broad guidelines yeah. to start with and baseline, right? And then, um, you know, within those two, and then, you know, if you listen to the podcast, you're, you're plugged in with some really switched on people. And, uh, you know, and then really the only thing left is you come to the symposium at the end of the year, uh, get to, you know, rub elbows with the best mm-hmm. and the brightest in strength and conditioning and get to hear some amazing speakers and kick ass in Austin, Texas with the crew from Power Up. Yeah, it's right, around, it's right around the corner. Uh, and we're also we, um, in Wade season as well. So, so Wade's Army is kicking off. And if you haven't heard of Wade's Army, you've been living under a rock. So we're, we're getting into our fundraising cycle for our 501c3 charity that benefits uh, childhood cancer called neuroblastoma, which is a gnarly, gnarly, underfunded and mysterious and fatal cancer that attacks the nervous system. Yep. Right. So uh, we want to get you involved and we're just kind of kicking this thing off. Head to wadesarmy.org to find out more information. Follow us on social at Wade's Army HQ. Yep. And uh, more, a lot more info coming on that. And that's, you know, a project that's near and dear to our heart and uh, the symposium benefits as well. Yep. So it's something that we, we've we been working on for the past few years. We've come up to, man, a few hundred thousand dollars. I don't have the numbers in front yeah, of me. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, the the really big ticket item is we have an auction, silent auction, that all the proceeds go to uh, Wade's Army. And it's, uh, it's pretty kick-ass. Uh, we tried to auction a truck app last year, so I ended up buying it. So <laughs> ho- hopefully you might see it again this year. Uh, but uh, it's, um, you know, the symposium is not only an incredible cap to our year, it's our abil- it, it's our uh, really amazing opportunity to present in real time all of some of the most switched on best people that we've run into over the course of the year. Yeah, and for you to, like, experience them in person. And I know a lot of these folks have been on the podcast, but there it is... 
we make sure that the experience affords you, the attendee, the opportunity. Like we joke around, rub elbows, but like it's, well, they're all in the same uh, room. It's up to you. You want to go talk to our guest today, Dr. Craig Bueller? Talk to him. Talk yeah. to Dr. Tom Inkladon. Uh, Rudy Reyes just texted me and said he's going to be there. Uh, yeah, and our alumni as well. Yeah. yeah so so it's a great opportunity to just level out, get everybody in one room, and, you know, especially our Block One coaches there to help people out as well. It's going to be an epic experience. So wadesarmy.com or .org, and then also hit up events.powerathletehq. And you're going to have a real badass. I, I was on the phone with Turley today, and... Uh, shh, shh. Oh, sorry. Sorry, yeah. sorry, we haven't announced it yet. But uh, going over a little bit, like, uh, we got some stuff in store, man. It's going to be yeah, epic. Yeah, and uh, without further ado, let's just get into it with Dr. Craig Bueller, who's... Uh, yeah, John, one, I've, I've had, to, I yeah. haven't gotten work. Well, I guess he gave me well, my no, first he, nasal specific, yeah, but he, I haven't had any cranial. Yeah. He did your cranial manipulation, but, mm -hmm. uh, I count for, uh, Craig is not only, um, uh, you know, not only a, a close friend, family friend, but, uh, um, you know, an ally, a mentor and, uh, really just, it's really cool in life when you meet the right person at a very pivotal time. And Craig, uh, I mm -hmm. couldn't have met him at a more pivotal time in my life. And I'm excited we get to get him on the podcast. Yeah. So strap yourself in, folks, for the first maybe 15 minutes. We have a little bit of audio interference, but that cleans up at the end. So be patient with us. Uh, but let's do it. Another episode of the Premier Podcast in Strength and Conditioning. Ing, 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 ing. Go. Um, uh, the Durant. Achilles tendon rupture. You know, everybody's talking about that. And I, um, there's a guy, that, a writer for ESPN, um, Goldsberry. He was asked, what's, what's been your biggest takeaway from this series so far? And he says, unfortunately, our understanding of load management and injury risk remains inadequate. Durant's Achilles injury represents a troubling new data point in the world of sports medicine. Even at the highest levels, we still don't have a firm grasp on how, why, and when injuries occur. And it's true. I mean, you see that all the time with, with athletes uh, given the best conditioning, the best training, the best physicians. You know, they, when you get to that elite level, you're dealing with some pretty sharp people. Sure. And yet... It's, it's frustrating for them, especially the coaches. They work so hard to build their team, and then because of injuries, they, they really never meet their full potential as a team. And advanced muscle integration technique answers that question. And, I mean, it's, I, mean I can go into the, the, the background behind how this all evolved, but to, in my mind, based on what I've seen over my 42 years of practice, advanced muscle integration technique is the future of, of sports medicine. Hey, Doc, um, can, uh, for the people that are listening, yeah. and we, you know, we've been rolling on the podcast, we just kind of jump right in, and then we kind of go back and fill some stuff in at the beginning, but uh, yeah. can you, um, you know, I mean, I, I, like, our relationship is, uh, is both a funny one, and like, uh, you know, I count you not only as a, a, a very good friend, but like, you know, the only person I would actually ever let work on my children, you know, I, like I brought all my kids to you when they were, you know, weeks old. And uh, I still always joke that, um, do you remember in the Lion King when like the lions come up and they hand like, like the little lion up to like the old monkey and he holds it up and like kind of the medicine man. <laughs> uh -huh. I, I tell people the same thing. I, I brought my kids to see the, the medicine man and I gave them and I, so I like hand them to Craig and Craig like holds them up and like, 
like looks at him and I had this like moment. I'm like, this is just like in the Lion King. Is that one of the Elton John songs going? Yeah, I, I don't remember, but <laughs> like, uh, and, and, and the, the interesting thing is I had seen Craig and I showed him, he's like, oh, show me some pictures of the kids. I mean, obviously Craig has, uh, you know, a small village of children of his own. And, uh, he looks at the picture of my daughter and he's like, this little girl looks like she's in pain. And I was like, you know, and, and Craig has, uh, I like to think that, you know, I'm a, um, decently moderately perceptive person craig is like tenfold on me and uh i flew home got my kids and brought them back and he was right uh my little girl was kind of you know crunched in the womb and her neck wasn't sitting right and she was having acid reflux and like some uh uh, uh what do you call it um uh, yeah she was colicky and literally craig uh, um, adjusted her and straightened her out and i remember she sat up and like looked around and like all of a sudden like her ent- entire demeanor changed and, uh, you know, and, and so uh, long story short, like I met Craig at my darkest moment. And I, I'm sure if you listen to the podcast, you've heard us talk about it. But um, can you talk a little bit uh, or just explain like, you know, with Amit, how it came in and really just, uh, you know, the evolution of this. And you've gotten to this point because it's um, like I like to think as an NFL player, I was privy to a lot in terms of doctors, physicians, uh, body workers, you know, uh, um, athletic trainers. I mean, just a, a, a endless barrage of individuals that are around the health and performance space. And uh, I developed a very keen sense of uh, bullshit because I would I would be told something that I knew was untrue or this, and it just always felt like something was a little bit off and it wasn't until I met Craig that all of a sudden like damn if I uh, and I'm I'm thankful I met you when I did and I was always sad I didn't meet you sooner but I'm also sad I'm also glad that I didn't because I probably would have played a lot longer which probably would have resulted in more issues possibly so possibly well I um I studied with the Dr. Alan Beardall in Lake Oswego Oregon during the time I was going to chiropractic college so during that four years he allowed me to come out to his office and observe, which he didn't allow students to do. He kind of took a liking to me for some really weird reason. But um, that was during the time that he was evolving this technique, and he was an elite distance runner. And so as a result, he, he, he treated a lot of runners. In fact, the guys that started Nike, um, they, were, they were patients of his. And I remember them you know, looking out of the garage and Alan acting as a consultant and trying out their shoes and such. And it was kind of a really cool time uh, to be in Oregon. But um, Alan, because he treated a lot of uh, elite athletes, he used regular chiropractic techniques. He used some different muscle techniques. And they were fine coming off the table. But as soon as they got out two or three miles, they broke down. He said, why do they keep breaking down? And so he launched into... um, a research project where he started looking at all kinds of different techniques. And he had the uncanny ability to kind of pick out the key elements of a technique and, and challenge them to see did they work or did they not work. And then the ones that didn't, he would discard. And so he, he collected a lot of different gems, so to speak, from a lot of different practitioners. And when he, um, when he added the acupuncture point to the mix, everything changed. He completely he expanded anatomy. Quadriceps are seen as four muscles are actually 13 muscles that make up the quadricep complex. And, um, and it's position specific. 
So you can test the quads and they test, they uh, test strong. And then, you know, for a patient who's had an ACL replacement surgery, they go out and return the ACL. You know, and, and, and it's always an, uh, an awkward position they're in. So Alan, when he, 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 would, he would treat the, the quads and then the athlete would come back in and say, well, my, my knee still hurts. So Alan would say, well, what position do you get into that cause your pain? They'd say, then you get into a partial squat and rotate. So he tested the, the four quads and they were rock solid functional. And then he put the athlete in a position that he was in that caused pain. And he had no integrity to that through that range of motion. That's when he, that's when he thought there's got to be divisions to these muscles. They have to have separate innovations. And so um, we, we can evaluate about 720 muscles in the body for proprioceptive neural uh, uh, integrity. So that makes our analysis very precise. And, uh, and that's what gives us the ability to predict injuries. Because if we, if we can, if we can uh, determine where an athlete or a person's instabilities are, then we can pretty much predict where they're going to be injured. So um, I got a great education uh, during the chiropractic training program over that, that four-year uh, of, of school. And then when I, um, I went to work for a chiropractor in Roseburg, Oregon as an associate while I was waiting to take my, my board, state boards. And for various reasons, um, he, I ended up coming back early to Salt Lake. I took my boards past them and, and I opened my practice in, in April. And in May, I get a phone call from a chiropractor next door to me. Uh, he said, I've got a trainer here. Um, he's looking for a chiropractor to work with his basketball team. He interested. I said, well, sure. So Don Sparks, the trainer for the Utah Jazz came over and interviewed me. I worked on some things he had, solved them. And uh, two weeks later, he brought in Adrian Dantley, their premier forward. Now, I'd only been in practice two, 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 two months, basically. And I got this amazing opportunity to work with an NBA team because the Jazz had just moved to Salt Lake. Now, so much of my career has been like that. It's almost like I've been led to and guided to, doors have opened up. That gave me an opportunity to challenge this model at the elite level. And... <clears throat> Sparky, when Sparky came here from New Orleans with the team, he was very integrative. He brought in an orthopedist, internist, podiatrist, psychi psychiatrist, uh, psychologist, um, nutritionist. He felt like the more, the more professionals he brought together, the better his athletes would be taken care of. We had, we had a fairly good relationship. I mean, the medical team really didn't like what I did. They, didn't, they really didn't want me there, but Sparky was the control mechanism of that whole organization. So when a player was hurt, they would see, they would see Dr. Mason or, and or Dr. Shields first. If they ruled out pathology, then he would have the players see me. So I, I would actually fix them, and they would be, in most cases, back the next day. So... Um, it, it, allowed, it allowed me to challenge this model in acute situations and in chronic situations. And I've had um, opportunities, well, during the Super Bowl years, the two years that the Broncos won the Super Bowl, I spent quite a bit of time in Denver working on Bill Romanowski and some of his uh, teammates. When I first saw Bill, he had, he had torn a, a groin muscle pretty bad, and, and he was, to the point, he wasn't going to be able to play. 
which up to that point he had to miss the game through his career. Well, I worked on him for um, probably three days, probably a total of six hours, just clearing muscles because he, you know, I, I'd never seen him before. He had all kinds of muscle uh, imbalances and instabilities. And when I got through with him, he played that next weekend and he didn't miss another game. So we maintained he and, and a lot of his teammates during that time. And that again gave me an opportunity to, to experience this at the at the NFL level. There's, I mean, a big difference between football, pro football players and pro basketball players. Um, I remember taking uh, Bill Romanowski to a jazz game. We were playing LA and at halftime, he turned to me and says, Bueller, I have a whole new respect for basketball players like John Stockton. He said, he's setting hard picks on Shaquille O'Neal, getting a hard, hit as hard as I do on the field and he's not wearing pads. And I really never thought about it in that way, but when you start to look at it, you say, there is a lot of contact in basketball. And, um, so I worked with Coach Richard uh, Quick, swimming coach at Stanford University for one season, uh, just prior to the Olympic trials. And we had a great working relationship. We made a big difference in his swimmers. He's probably the winningest coach in women's swimming history. Um, I worked with the U.S. ski team. I've worked with some of the, the best athletes in the world. It's been really cool because, like, uh, for Vancouver, I had five five um, athletes that were whose dream it was to make an Olympic team. Um, Peekaboo Street. Um, yeah, um, Torah Bright, the little half port, uh, board, a small border from Australia. Um, she had three major concussions leading up to the uh, games. The, set, the last one she had, she was pretty bad. They put her in a dark room for a couple of days and she um, finally came to see me three weeks later. We did a bunch of cranial work on her. Uh, I, I treated her up to the day before the games uh, or her event. She won a gold medal in the half pipe. That requires impeccable balance, whereas when I first saw her, she couldn't stand on one leg without falling over. Um, Shannon Barkey, she came in, she recovering from ACL replacement surgery, and after a year and a half, she still was in pain and thinking about quitting. Well, she made the final uh, spot on the team and ends up winning bronze. These are stories that go on and on and on with with athletes that are injured, they're given up, so to speak, and we turn them around. They go on to do great things, not because I give them any more skill. I just I just help them get their body back to full function, and that's uh, you know I like to say it's magical, but ma magic is a sleight of hand. It's it's a miracle in what's possible when you deliver the right therapy in the human body, um, you maximize performance. That's critical. So this is it's kind of the, some of the people I've treated, Stockton, you know, with the jazz, we had, we had a couple of years over a 20 year period where we only had 11 player missed games due to injury for an entire season. We have the lowest player miss gain of any team in the NBA over a 20-year period. Our average was 61 games missed due to injury. The league average was 141. Now, what's really interesting, when Sparky retired, we brought in Mike Shaminsky. And Mike had no experience with a chiropractor. So that first season, he pretty much managed 
the player injuries medically. And then each year as he started developing um, a relationship with me and a trust, he started referring more and more players to me because the trainer pretty much guides the therapy. If the trainer says go see Bueller, they go see Bueller. If they don't, that doesn't happen. So um, the last year he, he was the trainer for the Jazz, we had 11 player miss games and injuries. And then he went to take over the head training position with um, Seattle. We brought in a new trainer, Gary Briggs. I remember we were on the road and um, I asked Briggs, I said, when after practice, they want you to come to my room and I'll do an evaluation on you and um, I'll show you what I'm doing. And he looked at me and says, I'm not interested in what you're doing. And I knew at that point that this relationship was not going to be really good. And so Stockton pretty much was the only player I was allowed to, to treat over those two years. And so when Stockton retired, I resigned. Um, because I didn't want to be a part of the increase. We went from 11 player missed game due to injuries to 141 player missed game due to injuries that next season. And the next season we went to 223. Um, that, that's probably the most rapid increase in games missed due to injury that I, that I had data on or statistics on. Um, he got an opportunity to work with BYU's basketball team over the past four years. And there was a lot of resistance to us coming in. It took, it took a multi-million dollar bribe of a new practice facility even to get me in there. And the first season, I think we, we worked on about five, five or six players. Not one of them missed a game due to an injury. Uh, the second year, I think we saw nine or 10 players. Not one of them missed a game because of an injury. We treated all but two players, and we had we had 86 player missed game due to injuries for that season. 82 of those were two players that ended up having eventually having to have surgery. The other two, one kid had the flu, and the other kid missed a game because he was late to practice, and the coach pinched him. Last season, we had 100% buy-in. We had no player missed game due to injuries the whole season. We had one kid that did uh, miss uh, three or four games because he got mad at the coach and, and put his fist through the wall and broke his hand. That's not that's not related to a basketball injury. That's something stupid. But again, we've had the ability to challenge this model at every level, and the and the results are the same. Um, Steve Nyman, uh, Olympic downhill skier. This he's been to three three Olympics. He's had two ACL, three ACL replay, uh, repairs. One was a posterior, which is tough. He completely ruptured his Achilles tendon. Uh, that was two, I think, two years ago. He crashed and he, 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 he ruptured his Achilles tendon. He did that in, in, in um, November. He was skiing in, in February and he won a World Cup that season. Now they're telling Durant it's going to take him a year to come back. Now, what's the difference? One's managed medically and, and one's managed with this whole new approach to, to treatment. And it just goes on and on. Yet, and yet there's so much opposition to it because first off, I'm, my, my uh, degree is chiropractic. So I'm a, I'm a chiropractic physician. But chiropractic is just one small part of the equation it's the foundation and critical, but there's so many other things that we've integrated. And what I found through my career is that, that teams that integrate the best of all the worlds 
have the best success. Doc, I think I told you a long time ago, was it Albert Einstein that said uh, um, great minds will will always receive extensive opposition by like lesser beings? And I've told you this from day one, like uh, it's such a business for, you know, not only doctors, trainers and all these other, you know, ancillary medical people around these professional sports that the minute you bring in somebody that kind of makes them obsolete, I mean, does make them obsolete. All of a sudden they dig in their heels and they fight. I mean, the... um, uh, I have the rare distinction, and I think I probably spend more time on Dr. Bueller's table continuous than just about any other human being out there. You know, I, I'd go in and see Bueller's on the weekends, and we'd work like four, five, six hours. And uh, I remember you made a, uh, an interesting point to me once. You said, you know, the world's greatest athletes, there's a, there's a misconception. You said the world's greatest athletes aren't the ones that, like, have the most gifts or, you know, are able to uh, perform. Like, function optimally. It's yeah, the ones it's that can a, figure out ways to, yeah, to, to, work, to, to, around to work around dysfunction. Because everybody's injured, and the world's best athletes are the ones that figured out a way to recruit around injuries, which is mm-hmm. effectively what happened to me, where I had all these muscles break down. I was severely damaged, but because my body somehow found a way to recruit around it, I was able to go out and do my job until all of a sudden it's like the straw that breaks a camel's back, and then I can't do anything. And I always remember, I mean, I hobbled into Dr. Bueller's office and I remember I walked out three days later, I took a step and jumped up on the hood of my car, stepped down and uh, jumped off the other side and thought, shit, I can go back to the NFL. Like it was like, it was like somebody flipped a switch that I couldn't fire anything. Like I couldn't even like somehow figure out a way to get my quad to fire to take a step. I had to kind of swing my leg. And then all of a sudden I came out and like everything was firing. And I was like, man, I, uh, it, it, it was one of the most interesting, uh, exciting feelings and also feelings of depression I've ever had at like once is this thought of like, what did I do to my body? And the fact that I was, I was doing such a physical job, uh, at half strength, like what, what could have happened if I had had this technology and, and really just this, this information to me over the course of my NFL career? Cause I battled through injuries, ACL tears and all the other stuff. And to the point where even now, 10 years later, as I'm training in the gym, I have uh, I think I was telling uh, doc, I, uh, Matt Vincent had his knee replaced and he sent me the MRI and I remember sending it to Tom and Tom's like, it looks way better than yours, but what's the difference? Why do I have no pain and why am I able to go out and do all this training stuff? And I told Matt the same thing. You got to go see Buell's. Uh, it's the difference. If I hadn't seen Bueller when I did, they would have talked me into a knee, uh, um, a knee replacement and who fucking knows what they would have done to me. Um, but it's, um, it's, it's, I, it's pretty amazing. And I think what's, what's so, what's so interesting is that, uh, as you get into it, 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 how do I put this? Like in terms of the physiology, I'm never a hundred percent sure on the physiology, but at the end of the day, I realize there's things outside that I, I might not understand, but yet every piece has been proven to me on the table. Like, you know, we do the different deal where you get them into different positions. And the hilarious part is as Bueller's getting me into positions, I'm like, no, no, I'm not going to be able to resist you. And it's funny. You always laugh. You're like, how do you know? And I'm like, cause that's a bad position for me. And you're like, the only reason it's a bad position is cause you know, you're weak in that position. Right. Like, you instinctively know. Yeah. You just inherently know. And then you fix it. And all of a sudden I have no more uh, inhibition in to get into, the, into that spot. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, um, a couple of situations with the jazz, John Stockton, um, we had, when they moved the franchise from New Orleans, um, Sam Battistone was the owner and they did struggle financially for a number of years. And he arranged for, um, just have, I think, three or four games in Las Vegas to try to increase revenue. And 
I get a phone call. They're down there. We've got the final game. We're tied for the Midwest Division Championship, and we're playing LA. And I get a phone call um, soon, right after lunch from the trainer. He says, Jules, Adrian Dantley is back's in spasm. He can't stand up straight. We need you down here. So they flew me down there. I got there an hour before game time, and Adrian was bent forward in an intelligent posture and had some significant pain. I worked on him uh, right up to game time. He played pain-free, and I think he, he shot the final shot that, that – uh, won the championship for us. That was our first championship. Then um, years with John Stockton, we're in the playoffs, the um, Western Conference Finals. We're playing Houston. And John set a hard pick on Charles Barkley, and it ticked Barkley off. So a few plays later, Charles slammed Stockton to the floor, and he landed on his butt. Well, the next morning when, when he came, uh, John came down to breakfast, he was bent forward, and I said, stop, what's the matter? He said, Bills, I can't stand up. He said, I've got pain down my leg. Well, that's a disc injury. So I got sick to my stomach because that can take five, six weeks to clear. So we went to work. We worked on him for a couple hours that day and an hour and a half the next day. After that first hour the next day, he was still struggling. And he said, I, I said, stop, I don't think we're going to be able to pull this off. And he said, Bills, you can do this. So we just kept working, clearing muscles. And when we got through, he had full range of motion, no pain. And that's the game that he shot that final buzzer beater that took us into the finals against Chicago. If it hadn't been for this work, that would never have happened. And you know, he gave me credit when he retired, when he was inducted to the Hall of Fame, because of the thousands of hours. The, the, the medical staff, the training staff didn't understand how many hours I spent in my hotel room working on these guys. Sparky, he knew, but the other, the newer trainers, they had no idea because I was never treating down in, in their, you know, their treatment room. It was more in my hotel room on the road. And then at home, they would come to my, my clinic office. So um, there's, there's so many examples of what this stuff is capable of doing. Um, but I think it might be appropriate to just talk a little bit about the, the, the foundation mm -hmm. of the work and why it works. What we've discovered is that if a muscle is overloaded beyond its ability to handle the stress, either because of poor conditioning, decreased nerve supply because of, of spinal uh, fixations, uh, or significant trauma, you either tear the muscle and or the central nervous system inhibits the muscle to protect it, just like a circuit breaker. Once that happens, the muscle will fire under passive range of motion, but if you load it or stress it, it will give way. If you keep stressing the muscle, you'll get pain at the attachment side of that tendon into the bone. So what the body does with that is it figures out a way to adapt to the muscle next to it simply by shifting the joint angle slightly and shifting into another muscle that's still working. And the, the best athletes are masters at adapting and recruiting into those areas. The problem is, is the muscle's working harder and it becomes the next sign of injury. So we go from one injury to adaptation, injury to adaptation. Before long, there's nothing left to adapt with, and we end up with chronic pain. Muscles stabilize joints. They absorb shock. So if you lose that integrity, then all the stress of weight bearing, instead of being dissipated through the muscle, it goes right into connective tissue and it prematurely breaks that connective tissue down. Now, 
if a muscle can't fire under load and you're out on the field or on the court or in any athletic event and that muscle is is rapidly loaded it does it can't support the joint so what's the next line of support connective tissue so then you end up tearing connective tissue you can treat that with meds to mask the problem but that doesn't solve it you're still unstable and then eventually you start developing, you know, arthritic changes in the joint. The joint breaks down, you shoot it with cortisone and anti-inflammatants. But unless you're dealing with an acute injury within the six, first six weeks, it's not inflammation anymore. There was an article in the Journal of Anatomy uh, about five or six years ago. It was an article on the enthesis organ. The enthesis organ is where the tendon attaches into the bone. And that, that attachment site is loaded with nerve centers that monitor stretch or tension. And those are the nerve centers that trip the circuit when, when you see the integrity. Once that happens, anytime you stress out muscle, those, those nociceptors or pain centers start to fire to protect you, you see. So um, we've also found the, another phenomenon, which is, which is quite common in the, in the medical literature, primarily in the physical therapy lit literature, where they found that um, athletes or patients who have had an ACL replacement surgery oftentimes still can't contract their quadriceps six weeks, six months, a year, a year and a half later. And they've determined that it has to do with something within the joint. And they found that anytime a joint is irritated, damaged, or inflamed in any way, any muscle that attacks the joint or cross over the joint becomes inhibited. They call that arthrogenic muscle inhibition. But the Journal of Anatomy indicated that after six weeks, there are no longer inflammatory markers. What they find are degenerative markers. So then you say, okay, then after six weeks of injury, what's the source of pain? If it's not inflammation, what is it? Now, most doctors will think, look at that and say, well, you're out of your mind. Okay, so. When we, when we treat a muscle, we treat about eight separate reflex centers on the outside of the body, including the attachment sites of the muscle. We're basically reinitializing those nerve centers uh, at the enthesis back into the central nervous system. There's a series of other reflex points. We can get into that a little bit later if you want, but we take a muscle, and this is, this is elite athletes. These are guys and gals who work out eight hours a day you can't really accuse them for not working out enough or being weak. But you test a muscle that they can't control and there's significant pain. And in five to seven minutes of treating these reflexes, you retest the muscle and it goes from 12 pounds of force that they can only hold for maybe a half a second without giving way or breaking to 85 pounds for a full four seconds without breaking and no pain. You don't turn inflammation around in five to seven minutes. So it has to be something else. And that something else are those, those nerve centers within the enthesis, and they call it enthesis organ. Um, because if you look at a muscle, you've got, you've got the muscle belly, and within the muscle belly are spindle cells, and their job is to monitor stretch. So if, I, if, you, if somebody loads you with a five pound weight, you're gonna engage enough muscles to stabilize five pounds. If it's 30 pounds, you get enough muscle fibers to stabilize 30 pounds. It's this really cool feedback system. But then the muscle attaches into the tendon, and the tendon has nerve centers called Golgi tendon organs. 
and their job is to uh, evaluate stretch. So if you stretch a muscle tendon too rapidly, those Golgi tendon organs inhibit the muscle to protect it so that it doesn't rupture. If the trauma is too rapid, those Golgi tendon organs don't have a chance to react, and that's when you end up tearing something. But, but it's, it's, an, it's a protective mechanism built within the system. But there's a fail-safe where the tendon attaches into the bone. And once that integrity of the muscle tendon exceeds, that, those fibers trip. And once they trip, the muscle won't engage at 100%. And I've seen that over and over again, week, week after week, month after month, year after year. So that's kind of, that's kind of the, the, the foundation behind what causes muscles to inhibit. Doc, now, I, uh, can't wait to, uh, not to cut you off, but um, can we, um, this goes back to what we've talked about extensively about like uh, people that are uh, overly stretching. And the idea that, and I remember you told me long ago that if uh, a muscle is inhibit, uh, inhibited, uninhibited and uh, is moving well, then flexibility is not really an issue. Uh, and that the only reason that somebody would be extremely inflexible in an area is due to like, this guarding and this grabbing of a muscle. And so then the extensive yes. overstretching. And I think uh, I, I posted that uh, Cal Dietz thing where you commented on yours, which is, um, you know, if you overstretch a muscle to where you cannot, uh, what was it? It was uh, your inability to, Oh, God, I can't remember what the quote that we were joking with, but it was like, um, uh, like hypermobile. Uh, what was it like? Uh, at end ranges of motion, if you're hypermobile and you can't maintain the stability, then you're guaranteed injury. Well, yeah, if, we we never treat tight muscles. Why does the body create a tight muscle? It, why does the body create pain? It's there to protect you. So the question you have to ask is, how do we manage this? How do we stretch this? It's a matter of how do we define the cause of this? Now, there's a law called Sherrington's Law of Reciprocal Innovation, which says that when a muscle contracts, like the quads, when the quadriceps contract, they send inhibitory impulses to their antagonist to cause the antagonist to release. Then when you hit that mid-stance part of your gait, that changes. The hamstrings engage and they inhibit the quads. That's how we move. It's this complex integration of, of muscles turning on and turning off. The co-contractors working to try to create stability. If a muscle is, is become um, proprioceptively inhibited at the enthesis, it loses its ability to inhibit its antagonist. So the antagonist stays tight through all planes of motion. If you test an athlete or a patient's uh, glute max complex that are aberrant, they're going to feel it in their hamstring. They're going to, their hamstrings are going to go into spasm because the hamstrings are trying to compensate for a failure of a major support stabilizer muscle. The other thing is the body will not allow you to go in a position it can't stabilize. So, so you know, they did a study in, uh, in 1991, an MBA study, where they looked at longevity and they wanted to see what kind of conditions were commonly associated with, with players having to retire. And one of the, one of the primary reasons they, they retired was because of patellar tendonitis or jumper's knee. And as a footnote, they said, all these players had restrictions through internal hip rotation. But they said it's an interesting phenomenon, but they didn't know what that, what that meant. Well, if you're restricted through internal hip rotation, it's because your internal hip rotators don't work, they're inhibited. 
And so the body won't let you go there. And so it contracts the external rotators to protect you. Now, if you stretch those muscles to where you can get into that position and you go out and play, you're vulnerable because you've just removed your protective mechanism. And again, it, it, it's looking at things from more of a neuroproprioceptive relationship. And all of a sudden, all these things that happen start to make sense. I've, I've been fortunate enough to have traveled with John and saw you guys do some treatment. So when you say you're testing these muscles and just for our listeners who really can't visualize, it's, it's kind of like a manual test, right? So what, what Dr. Bueller does is he'll have, you know, the patient lie on their side or on their back and then either internally rotate, externally rotate to specific joint angles through the shoulders and the hips, and then uh, test their ability to resist like you're saying, maybe 20 pounds of pressure get that you're applying. And you just see, you see a big guy like John, who I know is super strong, you know, trying to like test, like re- resist basically, a hamstring curl. Like, so John's knee is flexed. Yeah, so, and then he's like, okay, fight. And then Craig takes his pinky and just fucking <laughs> yeah, folds dude. John with a little bit of, well, with John, it was easy. You know, I can use my pinky on all the muscles. There is nothing more, uh, emasculating than like Dr. Bueller putting you in a position and then all of a sudden being like, Hey, I want you to resist. And with one pinky, just pushing you. Yeah. Around. So it'd be like for like our yeah. YouTubers, like if this were like the hamstring, you know, and Craig's just kind of like pushing, pushing down with just a pinky. And then We'll go through this process of clearing, sure. which are, you know, I'll oversimplify it in terms of like, and, you know, Doc, maybe you go in and give them the, the nuts and bolts of it, but it's a process of like, yeah, he's basically hacking clearing the nervous and, system or clearing the nervous system yeah, and yeah, clearing and rebalancing. And so, it's a few minutes and then well, they retest. And then next thing you know, yeah. So everything's based on a test and retest. And it's pretty fascinating in that, you know, like uh, doc will get you into the position. You obviously, you know, he knows. And what's interesting too, is there's a kind of a hierarchy, which is uh, really kind of interesting, but also frustrating. Cause I went to doc, I was like, Hey, I was having this problem and we started somewhere completely else. And I was like, well, what about this? And he's like, there's a hierarchy within the body that I have to work through and we'll get there, but we have to fix all this other stuff. Cause if we just go right to this, nothing will stay. And, uh, that was really fascinating for me. And that we started, like, I remember on my shoulders and pecs and then work through cause I was there for my knee and then finally got to it. But I remember one of my biggest issues was actually uh, stability within the lower ab and like the lower uh, hip flexors and those muscles. And I remember Doc being like, you know, you've effectively, um, because your glute wasn't firing, pulled your knee into a position to get your uh, lower ab and your hip flexor to fire to maintain stability. And then all of a sudden I tore my hip flexor. And it was like, all of a sudden all your power was gone because that was the one thing that you were really, like that was your crux, that was your, you know, arch, uh, you know, your keystone in a lot of ways. And I remember as you rebalance and all of a sudden that fired, I remember getting off the table and had no pain. And all of a sudden, like I could feel my lower trunk. And uh, a lot of the work that we see and we do here in Power Athlete in terms of positioning comes from a lot of that information that we worked on with Dr. Bueller. Um, the other funny one is uh, I found great validation within our diet recommendations. I remember I hadn't seen you for a year. And when you came back, you were like, damn, everything stayed. And the first question to me is, I can tell what diet you eat. And then that's when we got into our diet discussion. Oh, right. And, uh, and I, I've, I've told people this for years, whenever they start arguing me with like, you know, uh, you know uh, animal-based proteins versus vegan proteins. And I'm like, at the end of the day, uh, Dr. Bueller will, will talk about like, hey, if uh, you eat a plant-based diet and you don't eat animal-based proteins, the muscles will not maintain the same level of contraction and will not stay within this system the same way. 
And I mm-hmm. remember that being like, well, that's all I really ever needed to know. And I mean, that was in, I mean, I, I, I think first time I saw you was in 2009, early 2009. And, uh, that was, um, uh, you know, a huge driving factor, but, um, Doc, the other one I was going to wrap with you about, and you were talking about uh, Thora Birch and like her her head traumas, um, and I know we've discussed this numerous times, but I think I told you that uh, there was an interesting connection between when I saw guys get concussions and actually ACL tears or lower extremity tears, and it was like uh, a guy would take a big hit to one side of his head, and it was usually like two or three weeks later, the opposite side of his body with either an ACL tear or, so, or lower extremity tear. Uh, can you go into a little bit about like uh, what happens when you when you really kind of I mean scramble and take a big hit to the head and how that really affects? Well, I found that that uh, information quite interesting when you shared that because the right side of the brain affects the left side of the body and vice versa. Um, I think a lot of the the um, influence that all these reflex centers have on the body is it stimulates areas in the brain. It's like resetting brain brain function you're like like almost like brain mapping the body shuts a muscle down to protect it while it heals and you develop different motor pathways and they become your dominant motor pathway even though the, the muscle tissues all connective tissue has healed when it comes to the brain i mean there's a reason why it's encased in in, in fluid and tissue and bone and muscle because it's it's highly sensitive and when you have a concussion I know when I'm talking to the anatomist at the University of Utah about cranial motion, he said, well, the bones fuse. Well, my question is, why in a dry bone specimen of a 60, 70-year-old skeleton do you, um, do you still see clearly the suture lines? You know, from uh, an uh, osteopathic perspective, the bones of the skull move every time we breathe. And so when you, and that helps pump cerebral spinal fluid. And there's so many other things that go on in the dynamics of, of brain function and cerebral spinal fluid flow. And that, and so when a person has a concussion, they, they lock those cranial sutures up so they don't move in a normal pattern. And that's why, that's why you get all the symptoms associated with post-concussion syndrome. And we, I can't tell you the miracles that are created um, from, for people who have had concussions once we do the, the cranial work and you know, we insert a small balloon into the nate through the nasal passage and it's right underneath the main axis of the skull, the sphenoid bone. And by going inside and inflating, that, uh, that, that puts pressure from inside the uh, skull cranium and expands and unlocks those sutures. And you'll, you'll actually feel those sutures pop back into, into motion. It's, if I had to give up all the techniques that I do except one, I would keep that because the, the life-changing um, results that you produce for people, and it would be it would be awesome to do a joint research project um, to just look at the foundational uh, impacts that that has. But there's not a lot of money available for chiropractic research, so it's um, maybe one day. But the results clinically are pretty, pretty phenomenal. Well, I mean, uh, I'm one, you know, I mean, for me, I remember the first time you did the cranial manipulation, I remember you cracked it and you were like, Ooh, these are really bound up. And you went in for the second one. And like the, uh, like all of a sudden I heard the crunch and it was about like about, a, um, I can't even give you a percentage, but like the, 
the the pressure that I had in my skull, I didn't even realize I had until you relieve the pressure with the cranial manipulations. And, right. uh, like I, I remember when I first laid down on your table, I remember you got me in position and, uh, you ended up adjusting me and actually resetting my Atlas. And it was, if somebody turned on the lights, like 30% got brighter. And I think I remember I was like, well, what happened? And you're like, what do you mean? I'm like, the lights got brighter. Did you guys fuck with the light? And you were like, no, your Atlas was so far out that it was affecting you. We did the cranial manipulation and just like the, uh, the lack of, or like the, the instant relief of pressure, like, I mean, when he says life-changing, uh, it is life-changing because I didn't even realize it was that bad. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I remember from that moment on when we started doing uh, all the different work, it was, uh, it, it's just, what I think is really interesting, especially with like with training and doctor stuff, um, people really don't notice uh, the effects of much like they I think I feel better like ah oh, you know I took the CBD stuff and I feel better or I or, or I took this supplement or I did this like I don't know if people have a a level of like mindfulness to yeah them. mindfulness but as, as an NFL player I mean uh, I could see direct daily changes because I knew uh, you know when I was able to do this in my training I was able to do this and so I have the kind of this an interesting way to measure and when you're playing at that level you just you know, hey, I know I was this and I knew I could do this. And then all of a sudden you get to the point where you just can't do it anymore. And I'd always heard from trainers and different players. And uh, Hugh Douglas was one actually asked our trainer one time. He's like, you know, when um, he was actually talking about Greg Lloyd and some other guys, he's like, why is it that guys can all of a sudden like play at such a high level? And then all of a sudden a snap of a finger, something happens and they can't play anymore. And the trainer was like, you know, they just get old real fast. And that was his excuse. And I, I had always heard that. And the older guys be like, man, you, you'll know when you step on the field when, uh, you know, you can't do it anymore. And I just figured like, hey, someday it would happen. And, you know, hopefully it happens sooner than later. And I remember the day that it happened to me. And uh, I just figured like I'm old. This is what happens broken down. And it wasn't until, you know, searching and meeting different people and going this. And then I finally at my darkest moment when I met Craig, all of a sudden the answers got explained to me that like, hey, uh, if you're, you know, I think of the 165 muscles you tested, like what, like 135 of mine were shut down and you were like, I don't even know how the fuck you walked in here. And well, I know how you walked in. You walked well in like a duck. <laughs> Your SI joints were so locked up. It's like, I felt bad for you. You told me you couldn't get down on the floor to play with your kids. And, um, I mean, you were my, you were, you were probably, well, Bill, Bill Romanowski in that group. Um, but you were the first retired football player I'd worked with. And I wasn't sure whether we were going to be able to get anything done. And, and you were an example of what's possible. Yeah. I mean, it was, it, it was cool to see the changes occur and see people say, well, I am just getting older. No, what happens is we, we have one injury after another, after another from the time we're kids and we accumulate those imbalances and our central nervous system figures out ways to adapt around it. But as we age, we've got so many accumulated in, in injuries, there's nowhere to go to adapt. And that's when you say you just give up. But I, I think the, the compounding thing, which is interesting for me at least, um, the injuries are one thing. I think it's the hits to the head that compound everything. Like people are going to get hurt yeah. and, uh, you know, they're going to twist ankles. They're going to, you know, do all, all these things are going to happen. I just think it's kind of the, uh, this perfect storm, you know, like this black hole when all of mm-hmm. a sudden now you're having these injuries, but you're also taking these massive hits to the head. Like, I think, um, you know, the injury is one thing and like, Hey, I can work around it, but then you almost scramble the nervous system or scramble the brain or, you know, motor impulses, motor unit recruitment, uh, 
maybe it's myelination, like whatever it looks like, you know, rate coding, motor impulses, whatever it looks like, all of a sudden you take this large hit to the head and it scrambles it. And then over time as the sutures and I think the scar tissue uh, from the constant head, I mean, you know, Wolf's Law, if you're going to keep, you know, loading it with stress, it's going to add down. I think what happens is you just develop this, whether it be scar tissue, some form of fascia ends up reducing. And I, I remember I looked into a deal where uh, I want to say it was, um, uh, I forgot what like the body working is, is a uh, rolfing. They believe mm-hmm. that like the body develops fascia within the head, especially due to impacts. And they, they do this whole kind of cranial release. And I remember I went and I saw a lady who did this cranial release and she was like, Jesus, the, the fascia in your head is so thick from all the, all the contact that like this would take me, you know, a lifetime to try to break down. And I just thought like, man, like, it can't be just the injuries. It has to be kind of the mix. And what I think was, um, actually, I know what kind of gave me hope and really just kind of sparked it was uh, as you were doing the different, you know, uh, pressure points within the skull. And then after doing the cranial manipulation and some of those things, it was like all of a sudden everything just kind of figured itself out. And like, it was just such a more clear path um, right. to, to the point where uh, the thing I always worried the mind, this is funny is, um, over the years, as I've seen you develop this thing, my biggest fear was that other people wouldn't be able to pick up the technique the same way. And when I just saw you a few weeks ago, all of a sudden you had like a team of guys that were all pretty switched on. And I was like, yes, like Mm -hmm. this is because I mean, you know, I have kids, you know, and like, I, you know, like I hope that if, uh, you know, my kids play sports and they have injuries, I hope that there's a, it becomes readily available. Well, yeah. And I've long, I've long ago given up faith on humanity uh, in terms of like us being able to do it. Now all I want to do is just uh, provide good information to the switched on people that are listening to this and the people that are within my sphere of influence. And right. uh, like I'm done arguing with people on nutrition. I'm done arguing with people on training and all the other stuff. You can Bullshit. Either, I, I bet you're going to fucking you argue can, the vegans. You can uh, at this point. If you don't like have all the information we've put out and all the amazing people like Craig and, and Tom and all the people we've had on the podcast, if like you're not convinced by this point, I don't think there's any fucking convincing you. I mean, what's crazy and, and, and Craig will know this uh, over the last 10 years, I have recommended Craig to hundreds of people when they asked me like, man, you're you know, you look pretty good. You're moving really well. You know this. And I'm like, I, you know, I was like between the blood work and all the stuff we do with Tom and seeing Craig, like I, I don't think I can give you a more powerful uh, opportunity to like, you know, fix what's going on on like, uh, you know, um, that systemic level in terms of inflammation within the gut. Uh, you know, here's the training, here's the diet, you know, get your blood work done so that you can figure out what's going in and, and kind of safeguard any problems. And you do this too, mm-hmm. you know, and then, you know what, if something's messed up, you got to go see Craig, you got to take yeah, a trip escalate. out there and you got to get it taken care of. And uh, you got to re- realize what, what I'm doing is not chiropractic. That's the distinction. People say, well, I've been to a chiropractor. I've never, I've never referred to you as a chiropractor. And the other crazy part is um, I've always told you this, that I think the one thing that hurts this work is the chiropractic association because there's so many, you know, what do we call them, Cracker Jack? Let me, let me crack your neck and get you out the door. Chiropractors, that it's, uh, it's kind of become kind of synonymous with the charlatans. And if anything, what it does is it, it takes away from people that have legitimate skills like mm-hmm. what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, John Stockton played 19 years in the league. Steve Nyman is 37 years old, and he's shooting for his fourth Olympics uh, before he um, got hurt last year with the uh, ACL uh, rupture. He was ranked sixth in the world. So, you know, the proof's in the pudding. It doesn't matter that you're aging. 
if you're functionally balanced, you can go on to do great things as you get older. You should get better as an athlete as you get older because your skill set should just continue to get better and better, but your body fails you because nobody's really addressing the problem or the causes, you see. So, you know, you talk about muscle muscles being inhibited, um, diet and things. There's a lot of things that cause muscles to become tight. Dehydration, toxic burdens, um, overuse, training uh, imbalances. I mean, you go down the list of things that can cause muscles to become tight. Tight muscles are easier to injure. So it's not just looking at the neurological part of it. It's looking at lifestyle. It's looking at attitude. It's looking at training. Uh, and, uh, and what's interesting is almost every single athlete that I've that, I, that have gone on to do great things have had to move out of the standard protocols and gone their own way to find the coaching and the diet and the different practitioners to help them. Uh, it's almost like they have this instinctive uh, awareness that there's something more than just the status quo. And everyone wants to protect their turf. So if somebody comes in with an innovative idea, it takes a rare trainer or a rare coach to say, hey, let's take a look at this. And that's unfortunate because the athlete is the one who pays the ultimate price in poor, poor performance or injuries or such. That has to change. In professional sports, um, I hate to say this, uh, but there's like, uh, even though they pay these guys and paid us very well and you're very well compensated for it, there is not an inherent value in the individual. You know, it's like, a, you know, a player gets into a contract dispute and all the fans and everybody hate the player because how dare you go against the team? But then the, the team cuts a player and screws them over. Well, that's business. So there's kind of this uh, interesting kind of uh, just very strange perception of the athlete and I think as an athlete you start realizing pretty early on maybe hopefully some guys learn it sooner than later uh, is that nobody's going to look out for you unless it's you that if uh, you walk in there and you're depending upon and I've told dude uh, if you've listened to this podcast you know um, like just like I don't depend on the state of Texas to educate my children it's not like I depend on uh, you know the doctor that I go to the physical to make sure that I'm healthy I think you as an individual have to take this uh, you know, task yourself and say, you know what, um, I need to find the best information and I need to work with the best people. And that's what I did within my NFL career. I never once trained, oh, I'm sorry, one time, uh, the very, my very first off season, I trained with the team every year after they wouldn't give me an off season workout bonus. They wouldn't pay me any money to be there. So I was like, if you're not going to pay me to be here, then I'm going to go train with who I believe to be the best in the world. And I'm going to go work with who I want to be, the, who, who I, who I think will uh, you know, make me the best. And I remember coming back each year and they'd be like, Oh, so-and-so made 99% of their workouts are looking great. And I'm always like, great, let's line them up. Let's do the conditioning test. Let's do all the testing. And I would come in and I would shatter all that stuff. And I'd be like, all right, well, let's see where you are after the first week and where you are in the first game. And I always come in at tip top physical conditioning because uh, at the end of the day, I don't think anybody knows it better than you as the individual. And especially you get right. to a point where you're like, hey, man, like I got to be the captain of my own ship. Uh, I'm not going to take diet advice from somebody who's out of shape. I'm not going to, you know, just depend upon the team to, to guide me in this process. I have to find the individuals. Um, you know, I remember, I think I met Tom in my third year and, uh, I remember at my exit physical, they like put me through my exit physical and I asked him, I'm like, you guys going to do any blood work? Are we going to do any like, 
uh, basic panel and they were like, no. I was like, dude, you, you, you prescribe me some form of like anti-inflam, painkiller, all this other stuff every single week for the entire NFL uh, season and you have no interest in doing a blood panel for me. No. Liver functions? No. Nothing. EKG? Nothing. No. You're good. Yeah? Everything fine? Okay, get out of here. And I remember thinking like, shit, this is a real problem. And that's when I, you know, and I reached out to Tom and I went in and I did a pretty extensive medical history with Tom. And he's like, Hey, you got to come back every six months. And, and he's like, you know, the problem becomes is if you do blood work, it's just a snapshot of that one day. But all of a sudden, if you have it every six months for 20 years, now we can look at a history over time and we can start making changes. Um, you know, I, I mean, dude, the, uh, um, the amount of information that is not provided to people. And, uh, and like I said, man, I, I am, I'm sorry that, uh, I did meet Craig sooner, but I also think to myself, like just from like the head trauma and all the hits and like just the, the severity of the game, at least up until the, the last CBA where now all of a sudden they've kind of neutered the NFL where, you know, no more than six padded practices during training camp and you know, this, I mean, they really altered and changed like the entire paradigm uh, up until that point, it was like blood money every single day. And mm-hmm. uh, like Turley, you know, my, I talked to my buddy Kyle Turley today, and he's always like, man, John, if we could have been just a little bit younger and played in this current NFL, shit, we could have played for 25 years. Mm-hmm. He's like, the problem is, is that it was such a road grader. It was such a meat uh, grinder that guys, if they get 10 years like we got, is considered a, a, a long career, even though we were still young men when we retired and still could have played the game at the highest level. It's just the injury because the information and the way to fix it is just not readily available. I mean, you got to remember, dude, the rise of the Internet really in terms of this information was what, 2007, 2008? Up until that point, you had to know somebody to call on the phone. It wasn't that I could get on and like, you know, find Craig Bueller via the internet. I had, I mean, the only way I, I found Craig was Tom Minkledon. Hey, John, I, we were going to go see this guy and we flew out and we met Craig. So I think that the information's so much more readily available, but I think as an athlete and as a, really as a human being, um, you have to take your health, your fitness, your training, all of these things uh, head on as yourself and just depend upon nobody but yourself as an individual to make sure that, you know, I'm able to do what I need to do. And uh, I mean, to the point where I get these little texts from Craig that's like, I haven't seen you. How come you haven't come and seen me? And then I usually book and go see you. And then you, you know, end up talking shit to me for two days, but it's worth it. And then I go home and then I make sure to come back and see you as often as I can. And you'd see a psychiatrist for post-traumatic stress disorder because <laughs> I promoted your emotional system. Ah, uh, dude, I'm way uh, tougher than I'm. I'm way tougher, and I enjoy it. But uh, <laughs> uh, I, uh, it's um, it, it's always a really interesting thing to, especially, um, and I think a lot of people and Greg, correct me, I mean, because you work with so many high-end athletes, they can see the changes in real time. Like you yes. work with an athlete, and all of a sudden, like they go from I can't walk. To now, all of a sudden, I'm shooting the NBA game winner. Like for me, uh, I, I hobbled into your office and walked out like kind of like almost like skipped out, jump up on the hood of the car and like had this strange realization that shit like I wasn't broken. Uh, you know, like you kind of look and say, oh, like the parts are broken. This car's broken. I got a new one. No, my, my parts were fine. This wiring was fucked up. You know, you know if people go to YouTube and just uh, type in John Stockton ankle sprain they'll see probably the most gnarly ankle sprain. He did it during a run game and it was so bad they had to help him off the court. And we went into the locker room and the orthopedic surgeon examined him and he didn't think he'd fractured it. 
but as an orthopedist was examining him, his foot just shook. It was that painful. So Don says, Bill's uh, check it. So I went through, I did an analysis. I found that at the talus, the, the joint, top joint in the ankle uh, was uh, rotated. There are a couple of other joints in the ankle. I manipulated those back in alignment. Then I tested the lateral stabilizers, the ankle and the pronius longus muscle group were inhibited and painful and completely shut down. I treated those two muscles, went back and retested. They were rock solid strong and absolutely no pain. He got off the table, walked and ran back and forth in the locker room. They taped him and he played the fourth quarter and he played the next night a whole game on an ankle that was severely sprained the night before. That is unheard of. Yeah. That goes completely contrary to the medical standard of care. And I've get, I've received a lot of criticism. It's like, you, it's crazy. It's not good medicine to yank on an acute ankle sprain. Well, if you dislocate your shoulder, they're not going to immobilize you for four weeks. They're going to they're gonna reduce that shoulder, right? As painful as that might be, because it's going to support the healing. And if you if you've torn some ligaments in an ankle sprain, if you immobilize it, the research shows that you form um, dysfunctional scar tissue. Well, if you if you mobilize something soon, your outcomes are better. When I was a kid, I had a, a friend that tore his ACL, like made this huge incision to replace it. They had him in a cast from his hip down to his ankle for eight weeks. He never played sport again. Today, they make four little incisions, go and replace it. They want you up that that day, right? Because they found that the, the sooner you mobilize the, the area, the better your outcomes. Why should that be different for an ankle sprain? So when you, so when you, when, once you set that joint, you're setting, you're affecting the arthrogenic muscle inhibition component of that pain system. So you're, you're completely interrupting that pain protective mechanism because now instead of walking on a joint that's dis, distorted, you're walking on a joint that's tracking properly. And then when you reactivate the muscle, you're dealing with the anthesis generated um, muscle inhibition. And then walking and running becomes therapeutic. So if you're laying down new scar tissue, it's going to be a functional scar tissue. And if you can, re if you can create return to play criteria in 10 minutes, why wouldn't you? And the other thing is, if there's a fracture or a significant rupture, what I do won't hold. As soon as I go back and retest, it's not there. And that's that's the red flag that says we need to get imaging to rule out, you know, the pathology. And in every single case, there's in fact the pathology that requires casting. So it gives you it gives you a higher level of confidence in your differential diagnosis. Because I, I you can take it to the bank. If a person doesn't respond to what I do, that that first treatment, I'm to function functionally respond then there's something deeper that needs to be evaluated medically. So what, um, this is a load of questions because I know the answers, but uh, like beyond just like, hey, like the pathology of like, hey, it's either fractured or torn, like what other factors, and I know you got into a little bit about like, like could uh, prevent the muscle from, uh, from refiring and when you go to test, like prevent it, like you got into like a nutrition deal. Uh, like I remember you had an issue where players were taking some really shitty supplements that like had some something within them that was uh, causing everybody to shut down. Can you get into some of like the factors? Because I sometimes think, uh, 
you know, whether it be like opiates, uh, anti-inflams, um, you know, uh, tortol, all these other things that are really just within like, you know, both out on the, um, I guess like in the physician's handbag, but also, you know, with that, that people will go into walk in and say, Oh, I have some pain. Let me take Tylenol. And next thing you know, that could be an issue. Can you get into some of that? Yeah. Um, there's a, I spent my career creating of, of, objective, precise methodology for testing muscles. And so there's a certain amount when you, when you, when you challenge a muscle through its plane of motion, you're asking the patient to resist against an applied force that, that the doctor is generating. There's a certain cadence to it um, that creates an, um, a consistent muscle test. There's a certain amount of stretch that has to take place within the connective tissue before the muscle engages in work. If someone's taking some heavy drug, cocaine or uh, steroid, there's no stretch response. It's like pushing on a wall. There's absolutely no give at all. We're testing somebody that had done cocaine? I have done. And, and there's, there's, no, there's they're, they're rock solid. It wouldn't matter what you test. There's no aberrant function seen because their body is so highly guarded and protected because you're overriding it with a medication. Um, so that's, that's, that's one thing, uh, pathology. If you've got, if you have a ruptured disc and it's extruded and putting direct pressure on a nerve root, there are going to be certain muscles that are innervated by that, that, that nerve root level that are going to be aberrant. And so that's one of the criteria for determining whether someone needs to go to surgery or not. If you treat them over say a week or two period of time, and you're not seeing significant change in their motor output, do you refer them for imaging because they've got a ruptured extruded disc and they need surgery? Now, if, if they've been diagnosed with a ruptured disc, even extruded, and you treat the muscle and the muscle comes back online functional, there's a pretty good sign that you're going to be successful in helping them regain their function. There was a study done probably 15 years ago where they did MRIs on 400 people had no history of back pain. And then the final those discs, which forced everyone to rethink the idea that ruptured discs were the source of pain. They can be. Can you repeat that, Doc? Because we got a little, it broke up a little bit. So they they did imaging on four hundred people. They did they did CT scans on four hundred people who had no history of back pain, and they found that fifty five percent of them had ruptured discs. Now the facet, the joint, can be the source of pain. That's going to lead to the arthrogenic muscle inhibition because think about it. Any muscle that attached to a crossover the joint becomes inhibited. Well, mu mu what muscles attach across over the facets? The rotatories, the multifidus, small, tiny muscles that's primarily function is proprioceptive control of the larger muscles. Those small muscles have nothing to do with strength. They have everything to do with proprioceptive feedback control to the muscles that stabilize your spine. And if, if that joint is irritated or damaged or inflamed, those muscles inhibit. You lose part of that proprioceptive control mechanism, and that's what predisposes um, people to back injuries because they, they can't control the loads that they're placed under. Um, I went in the training room one day. Brian Russell said, Bill's check me. He said, I'm, uh, so I've got pain in my, my shoulder, and I started testing muscles. Every muscle I tested was shut down. I says, B, what have you been doing? He says, nothing, Jules. Um, so I started taking this new supplement. And so I said, well, don't take it. 
um, then we'll check you again tomorrow. So the next day he comes in, everything was fine. It was something in the product that was shutting him down. So, you know, they use fillers, they use cheap raw materials. I mean, who knows what all these manufacturers put in to increase their profit margin. That's why it's so critical that you use a high quality product line. You don't cut corners by buying cheap stuff at a discount store. And so, yeah, you can, I had a lady come in, I was first in practice and she brought in these little black pills. She said, I started taking these pills that a friend referred to me and she says, I feel so good. And I, I, um, I started testing her muscles. She had nothing functioning. I said, there's something wrong with this, this pill. Well, she said, I can't, I don't know. I feel better than I've ever felt. Well, it turns out a couple of weeks later, there was a, a news um, release that indicated that there were these little black pills being imported from China and they were uh, basically speed. So this lady was taking speed and feeling really good, yet it was shutting her down. It was interesting that speed would shut her down, but um, that was my first experience with, with something that was toxic to the body. Those are just, you know, some of the ways that people shut yeah. down muscles in. Uh, Doc, uh, there, there's also some pretty much like one-to-one -one stuff. Like you've, you've obviously worked with enough people that if, you know, I mean, and, you know, we, we kind of wrote it in this too, that, you know, after working with thousands of athletes and seeing similar patterns and seeing people do the exact same thing, uh, you know, it gives us like a little bit of, I guess, not clairvoyant, but in a way, like, you know exactly what's happening. So if somebody comes in and they're like, hey, I have, and you've done this to me, like, hey, you know, uh, I have some patellar tendonitis and you're like, oh, your hamstring's not firing. Or if somebody's like collapsed arch or this, you're like, ah, oh, you know, that, that comes from not, uh, you know, the glute not firing. So can you go through some of like the common injuries that, you know, like people would run into within the space where, uh, you know, they think it's one thing, but it always ends up kind of, you know, stemming back to something bigger? Well, yeah. Um, well, the glute, the glute max inhibition, people come in with low back pain, they'll come in with hamstring problems, and it's linked to the glute max failure. Um, people come in with elbow pain and they've been diagnosed with epicondylitis or tennis elbow and they've been to physical therapist, they've been to the orthopedist, they've got cortisone injections and they've tried chiropractic and different things and they still have elbow pain. Well, we evaluate, we do, when we do an exam, we test muscles from the neck all the way down to the toes. And the reason for that is an old ankle sprain can lead to an opposite knee pain because you're always offloading the injury side to the opposite side while it heals. The problem is, is that even though the tissues have healed, you're still offloading to the opposite leg. So you're, you're creating an overuse syndrome associated with that opposite knee. So everybody's treating the knee. They'll even do plica surgery to remove tissue and it's still there. You treat the ankles, old ankle sprain and the knee pain goes away. Um, the elbow thing, it could be, a, it could be an acupuncture point for a muscle in the opposite knee. And so we, after we've done our exam, we pretty much have a blueprint as to which muscles are firing, which ones are not. And then we start treating. And the body guides the process. It's really fascinating because historically with, with healthcare, we go to a doctor, we have pain, he gives us a medication to help manage our pain. It's like telling the body to shut up. The body's giving you a very precise communication that a specific system is in trouble. So we'll start working through the patient. 
will find a muscle in one of the quadriceps that are shut down and it's ready to be treated. And the acupuncture point is in the opposite elbow, okay? We treat that acupuncture point and the patient says, oh my gosh, that's exactly where my elbow pain is coming from. And once we get that muscle system cleared, the elbow pain is completely gone. So the body has thousands of reflex points on the outside that represent internal function. If your gallbladder is under stress, you're going to have specific reflex points that are going to be painful to palpate long before you develop disease or pathology. The idea that the body is so inept that it doesn't alert you to a problem until you have an emergency and needs your gallbladder removed is crazy. There are reflexes all over the skull, the rib cage, anywhere on the body, and people experience that. They'll be washing their hair and they'll hit a spot on their scalp that's so painful and they don't remember hitting their head, but that, that spot is just sore. That's a vascular point to some system in the body that's been under stress. And once you treat it, that pain is gone. So, um, you know, it's really about somebody comes in with their shoulder hurting. And I say, okay, what motion gives you pain? And they'll say, when I reach out with my, you know, uh, to just even a gallon of milk. Well, if you understand anatomy, you know what muscles are responsible for that movement pattern. So you isolate that muscle, and the way you test it is you approximate the, the two attachment sites, the origin insertion, and then you ask the patient to resist you pulling through that plane of motion. And the muscle that's involved will be aberrant, and you'll actually duplicate the pain they feel when they reach out to get a gallon of milk. You treat that, you go back, retest, rock solid strong, no pain, they can reach their arm out and lift a gallon of milk with no pain. You solve the cause of the problem directly. That's why I say it's, 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 it's miraculous, the things that are possible. But the body tells you, as a physician, it tells you which system's in trouble, which is really cool. And then, we, then, then you start to understand that symptoms are a very precise bio-languaging system that can be translated into very usable information. And we go through all of our, you know, for the, the, the second two years of chiropractic training, medical training is for differential diagnosis, to, to differentially diagnose pathology and disease. Well, there's a big gap between optimum function and disease and pathology. And if you're somewhere between, you're considered healthy until you finally have a, a pathology that requires long-term drug therapy or surgery. Um. Tom deals with this. I mean, um, you know, when my dad got sick with stage four cancer, um, I remember, you know, we had gotten blood work done before and, um, you know, and I think it had been the year before and I was like, you know, he's at stage four, like, how did this come up? And Tom's like, um, like when pathology happens and people get really sick, like your level for your body to shut down, like, I mean, there's people walking around with stage four cancer that are like, oh, I just have a little bit of a chest cold. And then all of a sudden happens. Yeah, it's like, fucking crazy. Like, I mean, you have to really, really be uh, fucking deficient and really like kind of down and out for, you know, a lot of these things to kind of catch on. So I sometimes wonder if people just get to the point where they just, uh, they've come to accept and just ignore things. Yeah, a buddy of mine, his wife has colon cancer and it scared the family and all the family just decided to go get tested. And I think two of her brothers were in stage two Wow! and they didn't even fucking know. Like, and had she not unfortunately gone, gotten to the point where they found it and then are treating it, uh, 
these guys would have continued to progress and probably just ignore the, this, the warning signs because sure. it's like, ah, I could give me a cup of coffee and an aspirin and some fucking exercise and I'll be fine. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's why like, Hey, we just got those stool tests done from longevity. And one of the, one of the things was, uh, and also Tom, like, is there blood in the stool? What's the color? And they go through these factors. Cause you know, if, uh, if your body's digesting blood, then it'll be black. And if there's blood in the stool, then the, you know, the pieces, and so I think just being able to be proactive and unfortunately, uh, the way our medical system works is it doesn't um, benefit you to be proactive. They don't reward you for being proactive. It's not like, hey, you know what, we're going to, you know, all of a sudden send you to Dr. Bueller, who's going to make sure you're all, you know, moving great so that you don't have to have joint replacements and cost us thirty to sixty, hundred thousand dollars for a joint replace, uh, replacement. Or, you know, send you a guy like Tom who's going to give you testing so that all of a sudden you're going to figure out that, hey, you know, my A1C is a little high. I might be, you know, set up for diabetes or I have this and this. And I think, uh, you know, through training and diet modifications and, and you know, doing this, you can be proactive because, um, unfortunately, the, you know, and Doc, you've dealt with this for 40 years, the paradigm is broken and there isn't much benefit mm -hmm. in fixing it. Right. I, I talked to a medical doctor that worked at the University of Utah Medical Center years ago at a party. And I said, do you guys ever talk about wellness or preventative care? He said, yeah, periodically in our, in our meetings we do. But he said, frankly, there's no money in it for us. That kind of set me back a bit. But it made so much sense. It's like, if you keep people healthy, then what are they going to need medical? Crisis care? That They do amazing things with crisis care. But why not prevent the crisis from occurring in the first place? And they have no training in that. It's they don't, they have hardly any training in nutrition and yet they downplay it because it's not scientific. It's like, what? There's such a disconnect because the, the model, the it's a model, it's a machine that is designed to diagnose and treat and manage disease and pathology. I've got a Dr. Katayan that comes to my office. He came two years ago, referred from Bill Romanowski. Um, he ran track at Yale, 800 meter, really good runner. He struggled with plantar fasciitis for all four years he was at Yale. He started his medical training. And then his junior year, he started his orthopedic training and he had to be on his feet a lot. And his feet just got worse and worse. He tried everything medicine had to offer. And so the department chair decided that the best route would be to do a bilateral plantar fasciectomy, which in my world is just completely ludicrous. You know, it's like if you have a painful tissue, just cut it out. Like if you have a headache, just cut your head off. So they did the surgery and it didn't work very well. Um, then, he got in, then he got into his emergency care, which is what he wanted to go into his senior year. He had to be on his feet 18 hours a day. And he, he started developing burning, searing pain 24-7. So they decided to do an ablative procedure where they burned little holes to try to create scar tissue. He ended up in a wheelchair. For two years, he was in a wheelchair before his, his uncle, Katayan, or um, Armin uh, Katayan, who, who was the producer of 60 Minutes Sport, referred him to see me. So he comes out, came out, Spent a week. After the second month, he could stand pain-free. After six months, he walked 100 steps pain-free. He's been coming to my office for two and a half years. After, this, after a year and a half, he was completely pain-free. 
he comes to our office once a month and, and spends the, the week working on our functional medicine part. He has his life back. Initially, his feet were like a duck. They were splined out. He had an arch. He now has an arch. Now, I don't know many people are that committed to coming to, from Michigan once a month for that long to get better, but he, he has his function back, and we have to stay on top of it, but that's... That's amazing what the body's capable of doing if you just deliver the right therapy and you're committed to working to that goal. It takes consistency to destroy your body doing the wrong things. It takes consistency doing the right things to rebuild your body. What do you think would be like if you were to put like the ideal protocol together, uh, Luke's, you know, uh, probably days away, uh, if not a week yeah, or just, two, uh, his mm -hmm. little girl, uh, his wife's pregnant about eight and three, four months coming up on fatherhood right here. And I always think, you know, uh, Doc, what do you have, like 25 kids? Uh, I've got six daughters, yeah. which is like having 25 kids. Yeah. That's a baker's dozen there, uh, uh, Doc. Dude, I, I, I always joke that because um, I, I have two girls and I have a little boy, I could probably have 10 boys to every one girl. So that's why I, I know he has six daughters. Mm -hmm. And uh, the I always think, is is there like a like a perfect world, like protocol where you would like um, you know performance-wise, nutritionally, like is it something where uh, like, you know, the kids come in like, you know, once a week. And I know you have parents that bring in their kids and I know that you've worked with kids over the course of uh, a number of years, but like, is it something like, you know, like the kids come in, they get a, you know, a little bit of adjustment. If something's hurting, you kind of check with it and you kind of manage it over time so that nothing ever really becomes an issue. Well, yeah, my, my, my kids, um, my kids were never sick. They, you know, they've, they got regular adjustments. I adjusted those kids once a month. Um, mom is bringing their babies in after three three weeks post delivery for a baby wellness check. And you know the birth process can be quite traumatic, especially to the upper cervical spine. And a lot of times when these kids are they have colic and they're cranky, they can't tell you they're in pain. They're just fussy. We evaluate them, and in most all cases, their atlas is fixated. It's it's been jammed on one of the one of those sides of the set and we just adjust that back into motion it's like a different kid um and pediatricians say oh don't let a chiropractor adjust your baby well doc <clears throat> you don't think twice about clamping forceps around the baby's head and pulling the baby out that's an indiscriminate application of force and it leaves kids hurt and so to rule to, to eliminate chiropractic's involvement in checking a baby is crazy because we see such change in these kids that are struggling when they're little. And mamas love it. They see a complete difference in their kids. The mama gets to sleep at night because the baby sleeps through the entire night instead of being up three or four times a night crying because they're in pain. Um, and then, you know, I adjust my kids once a month, once every two months. If they fall, we check them. If they don't have any problem, we, we don't, there's nothing to do. Nutrition's critical. You know, the, I saw an article the other day that they did analysis on 10 of the top children's cereals, and they found glyphosate levels that exceeded the, the allowable levels to, for safety. That's, you know, parents have to be more critical about what they feed their kids. Um, whole, the closer you get to whole food concentrates, the better. I talked to a, an old farmer from Idaho, a rancher, 
And I said, because apparently they'll open up a new area that's been in sagebrush forever and they'll, they'll plant wheat or oats or some other type of alfalfa. And I said, do you ever do an analysis on your feed? And he said, oh yeah, all the time. I said, what do you find? He said, when we open up new ground, we, we, we find that the, uh, the, the product is rich in nutritional content. But every year after that, we see a decline in the concentration of nutrients. We get top dollar for that um, initial feed. Well, we've been farming the same ground for 200 years, right? And so we, how do we get the nutritional content? Restorative farming. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. just had a dude on from uh, 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 the Sabre Institute. We we have Bobby Gill from the Sabre Institute. That's uh, they're pushing regenerative or, the, agriculture. Uh, the the idea that uh, that's uh, where things have to go. Yeah, like uh, what what is it? Um, large ruminants uh, like buffalo, cow. You know, uh, these animals go through. They graze mm -hmm. uh, and they do restorative farming using actual you know grazing Ecosystem, animals. Yeah, yeah various to, systems. And and then they you know they go through. They saturate the ground. Ground resting birds come through. Break up all the poop you know crap nitrogen and then all of a sudden that's how the soil ends up regenerating itself mm -hmm. and it's uh it's this restorative deal and they're you know now in the process of like you know you know it it's how we're going to fix the earth is through regenerative or the restorative farming and they yeah, know and just the stripping it with monocultures is I, the problem i talked to a farmer and i uh, a rancher and i said you know do you notice any correlation between the quality of your feed to your cattle and your vet bills he said, absolutely. He said, if we, if we cut back on the quality of our feed, our vet bills go up. If we make sure we spend feed high quality feed, we have hardly any vet bills. Look at our kids. Look at our population. What we're doing, our, our medical bills are going through the roof, not because we're getting healthier, we're getting sicker. And our, our food supply is so polluted. So, you know, parents need to be mindful of that with their kids. Um, let them get out and play you know being locked in a house with 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 video games and stuff it, it's crazy i talked to a, a, a professor from one of the universities in utah he teaches communication and i said um have you noticed a change in your students and their ability to communicate and he looked at me and he said that's probably the single most critical threat to our country right now is the technology that our kids are using. They're, they don't know how to communicate, and there's research showing that it's actually rewiring brains, you know? So um, when I was a kid, we just went and played all day long. Our parents didn't really pay attention to where we were at. We just wanted to be home by dinner time. Um, activity is so cri uh, critical. Um, I mean, those are, those are just a few things, I think, that, that contribute to healthy kids. Shifting gears a little bit, so it makes sense why there's kind of like this league of extraordinary athletes that find themselves uh, under the, the two fingers of, of Craig Bueller. But, you know, th there's got to be people that just walk into your clinic and fall on a gold mine because I feel like, you know, even with everything that's going on, you have these barriers of getting your message out and getting it well, he validated. Was in, uh, um, he was in Tim Ferriss's book, The Four right. Hour Body, Dr. Two Fingers, if you watch it. But, but I guess my question is, uh, what about the regular folks that just show up? I mean, is it, do you kind of have a, a partition between just regular kind of chiropractic care that folks that listen in and folks who are listening are familiar with, but 
you know, do these people then hop the fence and get into the aim it side of the business as well and like get a new lease on life that they never knew they had? Well, sh- sure, but every <clears throat> every patient that comes through the door, whether they're an elite athlete or a um, stay-at-home mom, or it doesn't matter who they are, um, the process is the same. We, we evaluate their central nervous system to determine if there's a problem, which is usually an atlas fixation. Because when the atlas displaces, it, it impacts the brainstem, which is critical for so many processes. So I want to make sure that the central nervous system is online completely. And then we go through the full exam because they accumulate injuries too. And I would say probably 75% of my patient base are just regular people who want to stay active and um, the rest of them are athletes. So the results the same. The problem is, is that I'm, they come in usually as a last resort and they've got a ton of imbalances. It takes me a long time to work through to rebuild their body. But in the end, they have total function back and they can work out without pain and they start seeing better gains in the weight room or, or the yoga or the Pilates or whatever discipline they choose to participate in to stay healthy. And they get their lives back, which is cool. And just basic chiropractic, good chiropractic, gets similar results for people. But I find that I've treated a lot of uh, patients who've been under regular chiropractic care, and they still have muscular imbalances that, that can't be addressed through manipulating the spine. Uh, Doc, you also, I remember uh, years ago when, um, you know, I, I know you usually do a certain amount of like, you know, muscles within a certain time, because you were like, you know, there's kind of an effective rate. And I no, we threw that out the window and we would do, you know, like hours of this stuff. Um, and I remember asking like, like, what's the difference? And I remember you telling me that, uh, conditioning that the better shape and the more trained you are, the more load you could handle. And you were like, you know, you're obviously in pretty good shape because I'm able to just continue to work. Whereas a lot of other people, uh, who aren't in good physical shape and who don't do all these just certain fatigue things, or something? Yeah, fatigue and just can't handle the amount of, uh, of work. Well, your, your level of vitality is critical for healing. And if you have low vitality, you, you can only handle a couple of muscles at a time because it's just too much for your system to deal with. So that we slow the process down. So what the John thing, is humble bragging right now is just uh, that he no, has I'm, I'm off just, the charts vitality? No, is that what I'm, I'm hearing? just a rockhead. And, uh, <laughs> uh, back Craig, then, back yeah. then, it was, you know. <laughs> yeah, Craig was just like, I get Just glowing I'm, vitality. I'm just I gonna, could sense him walking in the window. Oh, uh, that's before I had all these kids and they sucked it out of me. Uh, the, uh, I, John is great shape. I mean, John is like a lot of athletes that really pay attention and I mean, there's certain athletes that once they stop playing, their, their bodies fall apart. You know, they well, I think yeah. you, one of the uh, one of my most favorite things was um, I remember we had worked together for years and like, uh, you know, I'd come see him and Craig would work through it. And I remember all of a sudden you did something and you kind of like closed the file. And I'm like, what are we doing next? And you're like, you're done. We went through everything. And I was like, what should I do now? And you were like, go out and break it. Go out and test the system. I want you to go out and I want you to break it. I want you to go out and train as hard as you can. And then I want you to come back and I'll fix it. And I remember thinking like, I like it was uh, like, I remember driving in the car and just kind of laughing and being like, Fuck yeah. And uh, because you know what, like the whole standard of care is to manage pain. Yeah. And that's, so, that's so, kind of what I'm getting at. So like, there's this idea where like, and I remember we had a um, years ago when I owned a commercial gym, uh, Nicole Zapoli, 
who's a pretty big CrossFitter, she was training with us, and she had gone and done a bunch of yoga classes, and then she came in, and we were front squatting, and she ended up hurting her back. Shocker, you know, you overstretch the back, and she couldn't stabilize, and then she goes in, and at the time, we had had a, a chiropractor, kind of a ART guy, who was renting office space, so I sent him in to go see with her, and the first thing he told her is, don't lift weights and don't train. And she ends yeah, up leaving and not training with us. And I asked him, I was like, what the fuck are you doing? And he's like, well, my job is to manage pain. And if she doesn't do that, she'll be out of pain. And I've done my job. And at that point, I was like, well, I'm doing my job and you're fired. And I fucking booted him out. And I'm like, dude, like just telling somebody to stop doing that. Like, yeah, this hurts. Well, don't do that. When that hurts, well, then just don't do that. Like that didn't make any sense. And uh, it's the only but it wasn't time- like don't do front squats. It was don't. Do anything. Train, yeah, do no, nothing. He, he told her, he was like, well, maybe you should just go do some stretching and yoga and, and, and walk a little bit. And I was like, fuck you. Uh, but yeah, but like, John, that's why so many athletes and people stop exercising because they're told that, that it's just making them worse, mm-hmm. which is, which is the, the result of medical care. This is a game changer because once, once you turn the muscles back on so they can fire – now they're able to strengthen. Then you want a person to go out, break it, see what you can do, stress it, and come back in and see if it held. If it didn't hold, we go deeper to find out why it didn't hold. They don't treat it again. So it's really about well, your stuff is system. It, yeah, it's return to play. It's like, hey, our bodies are designed uh, to be able to absorb, take in, and manage stress, and then be able to put it out, like without stressing the system. I mean, we're not designed like like we didn't evolve with bubble wrap on our body where we're stuck in like you know pods of of water. We're designed to stress the organism, and if it breaks, and we, I think the problem is is that conventional medicine, a lot of people don't really have a way to fix it. And the analogy that you gave me years ago is a lot of these things are just like putting uh, electrical tape over the check engine light. You just, you know, you're out there, you're running your engine, let me just put it over. And instead of saying like, hey, here's a diagnostic, here's a way to fix what's going on, instead of just putting a a piece of electro tape over the check engine light now, but you have to go out and stress it. And uh, I remember you said that to me and I remember just laughing and being like, yeah, because this is what we do. We train, we stress. And if there's an issue, and I I remember saying like, what if the pain comes back? And you're like, then come back, genius. Mm-hmm. And I remember being like, okay, doc. Uh, and, and when I didn't know I could do that, I, well, no, but, and, and it's funny cause, um, I'll train and like things will happen and I'll, and I'll, I'll complain to my wife and she'll be like, you know, you haven't seen Dr. Bueller and she'll, and she'll pull it up in her phone. And she's mm-hmm. like, you haven't seen Dr. Bueller in over nine months. And my wife is, uh, is super detail oriented. So she'll be like, hold on, let me get out the name. She goes, you saw Dr. Bueller at this and this is happening. And the last time you didn't see Dr. Bueller, this is what happens. And I'm like, God damn it. Stop having such a good memory, and then I'll go see Dr. Bueller. Uh, everything gets good, and then I come home, and I, I, I am excited to go out and train and, and be able to go out and try to break it. Yeah, so let's kind of go on that, Doc, if you don't mind. So tons of our listeners probably following similar training to what we do, and you know we train hard, stress to progress, but shit happens, whether you forget to warm up or you've been in, you know, unknowingly, you know, you're seated in a car or an airplane, you come in and you feel good, but you aren't good. Right. And something pops or something binds up and you get something that's starting to restrict movement and pain is associated with it. And you talked a little bit about like, okay, so after like, I I forget the number, but I'll make it up six Six weeks weeks. that if it's just inflamed, and you're not doing anything to aggravate it, that pain should subside and movement should be restored. Is that right? Well, the, the, the body, you know, it's always been interesting to me that when a person's injured, they use ice to decrease the, uh, the swelling and they take anti-inflammatories to reduce the inflammation. Well, what's the purpose of inflammation? Heal. To heal. 
So why would you want to interfere with the healing process? Um, so after the first, after the first six weeks, the healing should have taken place. Mm-hmm. Now you're left with, I mean, it takes six weeks to heal a fracture. So, so after six weeks, you, your body really doesn't need the inflammatory process anymore. Mm-hmm. And when they've done studies, they find, like I said before, there's no inflammatory markers. Now you've got degenerative markers. Why? Because the muscle is proprioceptively inhibited. Right. And you're starting to de- create a degenerative process through that because so, you don't have stability. Mm-hmm. So how, how could our listeners, short of like coming out to see you, how can they maybe identify some of these things and what are some things they could do differently that may not be in their toolkit um, to either, you know, in the gym or outside of the gym to, to work through it or even what are some questions they could ask people in their local market, whether it's chiropractor, physical therapist, uh, that would put them in like they could have confidence that their provider knows what the fuck they're talking about. Right. Basic chiropractic goes a long way because, because most problems begin in the spine with what would be considered a fixation of a vertebra. If a vertebra becomes fixated or locked to its joint plane, the, it can eventually affect the nerve root, but it also affects the small intrinsic muscles because that joint's being irritated. So it creates this whole volley of, of issues that if left unaddressed over time can lead to more advanced problems. Seeing a good chiropractor to keep the spine unlocked and balanced is really, in my view, one of the best preventative things you can do next to diet and exercise. Didn't you tell me years ago that they did a study, like a massive study, I want to say like half a million people or something that found that uh, uh, people that get regular chiropractic care don't develop uh, a bunch of pathology? Like, do you, do you remember we, we, do you remember this? I don't, I don't remember that. Uh, I do know, you know, based on my experience over 42 years, is the patients who came in regularly lived longer, lived healthier, and the people only came in when they were in pain, struggled. And so the proof's in the pudding, you know, it, it works. My kids are an example of that. I'm an example. I just turned 70. I'm still riding my bike and doing things, exercising, and I'm active. And um, it's shocking the patients that come in there in their 50s that look like they're 90. So exercise, moving, regular care, diet. But, you know, if somebody has pain somewhere, you get, just get a basic anatomy book and look at where the muscles attach and just massage the attachment sites. Put pressure on them and massage those attachment sites. Leave the muscle belly alone. Just go to the attachment sites and work those. That'll that, Oftentimes that completely removes your pain. But if something's gone beyond that into the organ gland or into the ner- nervous system, You've got to go deeper, and the only way to turn that around is to see uh, an AMA practitioner. Is there, um, and I know this is another loaded question, uh, your website and your setup in such a way that people can go and search for an AMA provider within their area? Yes. So, yeah, right uh, under affiliates. Yeah, so they can go to their website, um, and I mean, you've been, geez, I mean, what's it almost been like seven, eight years that so you've been pretty actively working? I mean, I, I, I can think of, um, um, so 
I herniated a disc in my neck against the St. Louis Rams, and periodically I'll start to feel like a twinge, and I know it's coming on, and it kind of goes into spasm. And uh, it, went, it was really bad one time to the point where my wife actually took me to the hospital because I told her I was having a heart attack. And then they, they did all the stuff. They gave me a muscle relaxer, and it went away. And I remember my shoulder was all jacked up. I go up, and I see Craig, and within like three minutes, he fixes me. But you had a large group of people that you were doing like a uh, kind of like a um, – a clinic or like um, a teaching thing with so I got to go in there and all these people got to yank on me which was funny <laughs> but uh, you've kind of remodeled your program in that it's not just hey you know come out for two days a week and we're going to put you through and teach you this work like now people actually have to come learn the information and intern and that you're doing a lot more hands-on in terms of your training with these guys we are and we, we do that we, we've got a course that he plays at life chiropractic college in Atlanta, georgia and then i teach a, a course in salt lake and i like salt lake because we spend a lot of time at the university of utah anatomy lab reviewing anatomy which when you start looking at 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 the structure and relationships which is when you first when you first go through your anatomy training, it's just trying to remember the crazy names of the muscles and where they attach, but and the neurological innovation. But when you're when you're in practice, you you start looking at the body from a functional perspective, and you can start to see the relationship with the muscle attachment to the fascia, and the and the and the joint. And it's it um, it takes it's an eight month program that when they fly in once a month and we take different areas of the body i teach them how to test muscles how to treat but then it's an ongoing educational process where you just just keep learning and advancing in your understanding of muscle function motor proprioceptive systems and it takes a it takes a while but i've got some guys out there that are doing some really good work i i um the quality of the people that I worked with last time I saw you compared to, you know, when I first came and saw you and it was like, Hey, you were working on me. And some of the other guys were not nearly like, I, I could see they were young within the science. Uh, and then now man, like really switched on and, uh, and pretty good. I mean, I, um, I think I remember a couple years there when I was talking to Tom, I'm like, man, I hope nothing ever happens to Craig because uh, I, I like I, I kind of worried. I was like selfishly, even though we are good friends, selfishly, I was like, man, like uh, this, you know, this information needs to be able to go on and and be able to, to progress. I mean, just selfishly for me and for those around us. And uh, um, it's. It's good that uh, you've kind of dialed it into a point where now these guys, you're, you're really able to train practitioners in this that understand it on a on a granular level. Um, what's the future? Uh, you know, you said you've been doing this for 42 years. You're 70 years old. So, what's the future of this? The future is we are we're we're shifting our training program to uh, implement a postdoc one year postdoc fellowship. And that will give us a chance to really dial in these doctors' skill set. And um, our goal is to have multiple clinics around the country, more of a functional medicine model where we've got uh, MDs who are doing the regenerative medicine. You know, the prolozone injections for regenerating cartilage in joints has really been a, a, a tremendous advantage for patients. And the PRP and the uh, stem cell, you know, those are those are evolving uh, sciences that are showing quite a bit of promise. The challenge is using the right tool for the right situation. And so um, 
our, our goal is to have multiple clinics around the country with a high level of uh, skilled doctors, practitioners delivering these services because the demand is going to continue to escalate. I see the day where every professional team is going to have a, an AMET practitioner on board. They're going to have to, to compete because the statistics show that the teams in the NBA, that the top 10 teams um, that they're the healthiest have the best success in the playoffs. I mean, it's just, and you get these teams that are inundated with injuries. I feel bad for them. I, you know, since I left the Jazz, the injury rates have gone through the roof. I feel bad for them um, because this could be available, but, you know, medical staffs change, attitudes change. and. But uh, here, here's the thing. I, um, I know uh, you're a good-natured person, so you like you feel bad. But uh, honestly, I mean, like just like uh, years ago when I talked to the AD at BYU on your behalf, a guy that I had played for and knew for a very long time, good you know person I consider a, a you know a colleague and a friend, and uh, could you know speak about it uh, from not only uh, an intimate level, uh, but like hey, this work does this, and still met resistance. And at that point, I remember you asked me, I'm like, honestly, fuck him. Like I uh, like, you know, I mean, the uh, the idea that uh, at some point uh, people will figure it out and they either have uh, make a conscious decision to do the right thing and, uh, you know, to be able to be successful or just keep using the same broken paradigm, which looks like beating your head into the wall. Well, that that that's I, I remember that. And Coach Quick talked to the athletic directors. I had a lot of people who who vouched for me and the quality of the work that I I do. And um, I always thought that cream would flow to the top. But after the stellar system season we had last year with zero play in this game, we got an email from uh, yeah, email from the train head trainer saying that thanking us for all we did for the team the last four years, but they were going to take a different direction and they wished us luck moving forward with our careers. Oh, geez. And I was floored. It's like, wait a minute, you're going to take a different direction away from zero play in this game to injury rate? I mean, I was just shocked. Well, they're going in the right. Uh, they're going in a different direction, which looks like one of injury and conventional. I mean, uh, it's um, it's confusing to me, and more importantly, uh, the fact that I didn't have access. Isn't it to politicking? This. It's just got to be some uh, fucking dude, politicking uh, shit. It's it's. Um, I always think, man, like. Uh, and uh, I, I, I hung out with my uh, good buddy Rob Wolf uh, this last week, and like, there's just some interesting things that we kind of discussed. And one of them is, um, I don't know if you guys have read uh, uh, what's going on with all this AI stuff, but like the artificial intelligence and what's happening. And you know, the uh, we were discussing something that like the artificial intelligence, the way it's working right now, is um, for every millisecond, it, it goes exponential. Uh, in terms of intelligence, how fast like the AI programs that like China and these other countries are developing. And the analogy they gave is like, if I were to take, uh, if you were handcuffed at the top seat of Yankee Stadium and you had a, uh, I think it was like a drop of water and, you know, and then you got two drops and, and then four drops and an exponential, how long would it take for you to get before you were drowned? And I was like, uh, I don't know, like my I don't know, two days. He's like, it's like seven minutes mm -hmm. is how long it takes. And he goes, that's the level at which the artificial intelligence that they're working on is developing. And uh, Elon Musk made an interesting comment when he's like, I just hope that the machines are nice to us. 
Like, and it was just kind of this like kind of doomsday feeling of like, hey, man, they're basically putting artificial intelligence and they're looking at it like, hey, protect humanity. And then the machines realize that we're the biggest problem with humanity and just get rid of us. And like it was just this whole kind of doomsday deal. And uh, it's it's almost like, well, if people know that that potentially could be our end, why are they doing this? Right. It's like my is like kind of like my thing, like like the Skynet thing, like, hey, like why turn on Skynet if you know it's going to result in this? Sarah, and, we got one of us is John Connor. Right. Somebody has to be. But it, it, it's a lot like, uh, you know, they've invested. I mean, all of this time. I mean, Doc, you know that like uh, for most of the conventional docs, they only have two options. They either have a surgery or they have a pill. So when you go right. to the doc, like, hey, like yeah, and, and most of people. So like, yeah, not well, all, but not, most, not all. But most within the conventional paradigm, and th this happened to us all the time. Hey, you sprain an ankle? Okay, we have all these protocols that look like ice and stem, um, and then the uh, whatever the uh, ultrasound, and then this, and they, you know, the whole thing. And I think I was telling you the story. I sprained my ankle really severely, and they did all this. And we had an old time kind of a country doc who was also who owned horses. And I remember I used to rap with them a bunch. And I was like, Doc, you got any DMSO? And he um, he's like, Yeah. I was like, Can you bring me some? He said, No problem. He showed up the next day. And uh, they, you know, had all these trainers doing all this when I was at the Chiefs and he came in and I, uh, I, I took the DMSO and I mixed it up in some, in some cream and rubbed it on my ankle and then wrapped it up. And they were like, what are you doing? And I remember the head trainer came over and I was like, dude, I just DMSO'd my ankle. And he was like, oh, okay. And the young trainers had never even heard of it and didn't know about it. About an hour or two later, all of a sudden, all the swelling was gone out of my ankle. And I was like, my ankle's not painful. I just don't have any mobility because it's swollen up like a balloon. And the DMSO sucked all the swelling out. And I, and I was like, tape up my ankle. And I went and played. And you would have thought that I brought fire to cavemen, just showing them DMSO. And I'm like, dude, the fact that you guys don't even know about this, like, this is, this is old time stuff. I mean, they use this on racehorses. <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, and that's how I knew about it. And, um, the, the interesting thing is, uh, like when we would have an injury, they had all these protocols in place and like running around. And I just remember thinking like, if this is the best that you guys have, like, this is a really low bar. Like there has to be something better. If, uh, the only way you can manage inflammation is to give me a pill and this, it's just like, uh, you know, like contrast baths, like it just like, like there had to be something more. And I think what was frustrating and uh, I, I went through the whole uh, chiropractic ART and I remember the problem I ran into with the ART was I would get this in incredible range of motion and like all of a sudden, Hey, like, you know, the guy would do the ART on me. I got range of motion, but there was no stability within the joint. So the artificial range of motion he created, it didn't feel like a stable joint. And then right. the next day I woke up, Everything they did was wrong. So the only time I ever got any ART work was right before the game. I was like, man, I'm going to need a little more ability in my knee. I'm going to need more in my hip for this. And I'd have the guy hit me with a bunch of ART, and I knew for about three hours I had what I needed. And, um, and then at the next day, it would tighten right back up. And I just remember coming to the realization, like, if, you, if what you're doing doesn't stay the next day, then it's probably just a, a, a parlor trick. And, um, you know, on occasions you need the parlor trick, and really the only – uh, system of treatment or really the only system system of care that I've ever seen hold not only the next day but months later where all of a sudden it didn't come back was the uh, was what Doc Bueller does with the Amen. And like I've said earlier on the podcast, for 10 years I have told hundreds of people, I've literally, I mean thousands of people on this podcast and uh, I'm always like, hey Craig, this guy come see you. He's like, no, nope, didn't come see me. I'm like, god damn it. I have like, I've texted people your number and like been like, dude. Yeah, but it's like, you gotta remember... I, you're rare in the sense that you 
you you understand the importance of, well, I'll get a fucking ticket and I'll fly out there and I'll go see this guy and see what's up, right? Like people <clears throat> just want something convenient in the closest strip mall they have, yeah. you know, which is the majority of folks. But you would think, I don't know, man, like you, you hear the results and you, you watch your TED Talk, Doc. And if you do watch the fucking John Stockton ankle sprain mm-hmm. and have ever rolled an ankle yeah. one-tenth of that severity yeah. to come back and do what the fuck he did is like i'm getting goosebumps it was crazy you yeah. know and like there's something to it and i was i can't help but think if it was just like everybody had an iphone and everybody watching doc uh bueller back there doing his thing with stockton and stockton rile like in pain and the next thing you know two fucking minutes later uh, he's up and he's bounding and he, then he's back on the court and then you know there's there's doc bueller back there just like yeah. Another job done successfully, you know, like would that have gone viral or, you uh, know, it's, um, I think the problem comes down to, and, and, uh, doc, you'll agree with me or disagree. Cause Tom deals with this is we're brainwashed within to think that there's a standard paradigm standard of care. And, right. it, and like, you know, I mean, uh, I've, I've talked to Tom for years about mm-hmm. this where, you know, uh, just doing some preventative micronutrient yeah, deficiency stuff, mm-hmm. which is some cheap testing just to figure out that like, Hey, you've been uh, vitamin B 12 deficient for 10 years. And now it's led to all these other problems. If we could have just done some $75 nutrition, you know, micronutrient testing earlier on, but then you get people that are like, Oh, there's no, uh, um, there's no, you know, clinical research that, that proves that, you know, micronutrient. What do you mean? That's mm-hmm. that's crazy talk. Well, I read it on a headline. Well, yeah. But this goes back to you know who the folks would who would probably go um, on your recommendation are those true conscientious conscientious objectors we talked about this morning, like someone who truly in their heart of hearts would sit there and be the guy with their arms arms crossed and be like, all right, oh yeah, all right, I'll fucking work so, against the against the grain a little bit just to see what's up. So so we we have this. Uh, um, I, I forgot how it came up, but uh, there's an old. We were t- talking about like some. What were we talking about? Uh, antibiotics and shit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're talking about antibiotics and some things. Uh, there's people that are like, oh, you know this, but um, there's an old picture, and it was uh, at a you know Nazi rally where it like shows Hitler and shows like a sea of people with their hands up, and there's one dude with a smirk on his face. He's got his arms crossed. And like I always thought like in my life, like I wanted to be the one dude where I'm like, I'm, I'm hearing it, and I'm like, ah, I got my arms crossed in this. And like uh, for a lot of stuff, um, you keep getting... St- told like hey we're gonna do this and and it doesn't get better and they're like oh well you just need to do it more and you're like it didn't get better and then oh let's try this and it doesn't get better and you know exactly what works and what doesn't because you have to go out it's kind of like taking your car for a diagnostic and then putting it on the dyno and being like well it didn't make any more horsepower oh well let's try this and then you do this and it doesn't make more horsepower i got the ability to check to see exactly how much horsepower i needed every single day to do my job and i could tell them being like what you're doing is not working this is, I mean, uh, I've told people this, probably the single greatest uh, game day pregame thing that can happen is a tortle shot. I remember my hands being so bruised that I couldn't even make fists. Uh, I remember we played uh, the New York Giants, and I remember I was like hitting um, Keith Hamilton as hard as I could, and I bruised my palms so bad. I remember for like days I couldn't make fists. And I remember thinking, like, walking in on that Sunday morning and being like, I don't know how the fuck I'm going to play in this game. Like, I can't make fists. My hands are bruised. And I remember they went in and they gave me a Tordal shot. And I remember I was sitting out uh, in my locker, and all of a sudden, like, my hands, uh, all of a sudden, swelling went away. And I started making fists. And all I could think of is, like, holy shit, somebody's going to catch this fucking deal today. I'm going to beat somebody's ass just because how good I felt. And I remember thinking, like, now... (laughs) 
Now that's masking. That's putting electrical tape over the check engine light because I felt like <laughs> shit the next day. But for that three or four hours, like, dude, I was gangbusters. Now you, you make the deal with the devil and realize I'm going to, you know, I'm going to feel like shit in two days and beat the hell out of my body for this next three hours to look like a fucking hero. But like the problem comes down to is when you go out for training, you're going through all this end of days of days and you you just make the you make the deal you know you're going to feel like shit you know everything that they're doing they say that it's working but it's not and then to go in and after you know 20 years 10 years in the nfl and to and to realize that everything has failed you and then to walk into your office and within you know minutes and even three days walk out and realize like shit like this is the real deal and um i don't know how to explain that to people who haven't done the job like i did it and because right. people hear me saying like, ah, oh, John's fucking, you know, who knows? Like, you know, uh, and I, and I, like night and day, like I, I was like, dude, I told you, I jumped up on the hood of the car, stepped down and thought, shit, if I had had this for the 10 years, I would have probably not had any of these injuries. I wouldn't be having any of these problems. And I'd probably still be playing today, which, you know. That's when Stockton was frustrated the same way. He told people, because like, I think if, you, if you're a pro athlete, you know about how to take care of all kinds of health problems, right? So he would... He would people. He got really frustrated about it, but it, it's it's really about early adopting uh, people that are early adopters. They it resonates with them. Um, I mean, I have Tim Ferriss. I've had people coming all the way from Abu Dhabi, from China, from Finland. I mean, all over the world to Kingsway, Utah to see me. And the cool thing is that they'll go back home and then the next thing I know, they're referring their friends. Hmm. And yet people, I'm, I'm in Kaysville, which is 20 minutes uh, north of Salt Lake, and people say, Kaysville's too far to drive. Well, I, I, <laughs> I have people. Uh, it's, it's, it's I, I have people. people in, when people get it, they get it. They, yeah, and I mean, I'm working with that kind of person. I, this, I know people in Salt Lake City, I've told them, they're like, ah, it's kind of far. And I'm like, I was in there and like six dudes from Abu Dhabi had rented a plane, a jet and flown over to come see Craig. And they were in there and uh, he had worked on them all. And he's like, those dudes flew from Abu Dhabi or the one guy flew in, came in, went back, rented a plane and brought his friends. And uh, I got dudes, I, got, I know people in Salt Lake that, that are like, ah, it's kind of far. And I'm like, oh, damn. Like, so I, it's just. Um, How far is the drive from here? Uh, th uh, 24 hours. Yeah. So you got to. Yeah. So I, I did that drive last time. Mm hmm. But, uh, yeah, but I, I constantly, I, I have a fair saver deal set up for, for Utah, yeah. for Salt Lake city. Fairs are under 170. Yeah. I'm coming in. Yeah. Craig. <laughs> and, and that's exactly how it works. I'm like, Craig, I'll be there tomorrow. He's like, ah, oh, fuck. You don't make an appointment. I just show up <laughs> and I know it drives that's him crazy. A, I'm sure he's used to it. That's gotta be like all professional athletes. <laughs> right. Right. Doc. Yeah. The world revolves around them. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Professional athlete time, professional athlete parking. Um, I'm glad you know us. Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> I can remember early on, like one of our first seminars, uh, maybe it was the hotel, maybe it was the restaurant. John, like we rented a minivan and John just pulls up like on the front curb, not a spot at all. And I, like he just gets out and goes in and I'm the guy I was working with. Benny is like, yeah, it's professional athlete parking. I'm like, is that a thing? He's like, I, he doesn't get tickets. I don't know. <laughs> I think it is. <laughs> it's true. I still do it. Yeah, it's, that is absolutely true. Uh, Doc, uh, if people want to get a hold of you, uh, what's the best way? I mean, I know you have uh, um, Website, an Instagram page Instagram. where you occasionally post things, but not that often. But what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Uh, just go to my website. It's um, AMIT, A-M-I-T, method, 
dot com and mm-hmm. the, the contact information's on there. My office number is 801-544-2355. And then you have some content out on like YouTube and stuff as well, right? Yeah, there's there's a, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, that we've accumulated. Yeah, yeah. So I, Some I of it I'd like to, you know, erase maybe a few. Uh, uh, revisionist history. Yeah. <laughs> no, we so, like we look at back at our old stuff and it's uh, just it's like, awful. what in the fuck? A bro bun? So, so yeah. No, I think that constantly when I see you. Uh, so what are you, uh, you're hanging out down in Scottsdale this week with, uh, with Inky? Yeah, I'm going through some amazing uh, machines, um, testing. I mean, they drew about 20 vials of blood. Yeah, I, just, pretty, I just did that a couple really weeks ago. Edge and it's, um, I use me as a guinea pig to try to find better ways to assess patients because there's so many conditions that people deal with that we didn't deal with 20 years ago. You know, the, the, the escalation of autoimmune diseases, there's that, those are tough. Mm-hmm. And there's an answer for those. We just need to find them. And the, I think glyphosate has a, a main uh, part in that basically an epidemic. So yeah, I, it cost me a lot of money, but it's, it's worth it because if I pick up just one or two things that help my patients, it's well worth it. And then we integrate that into our program. And Tom's this, this crazy genius uh, researcher that um, he's, He's, he'll be revolutionizing things in the healthcare. It's just either that or a minivan's going to pull up and just take him away. And we're never going to see him. <laughs> yeah. Throw a black, and then the other one is, is, uh, you know, I've asked, uh, Doc Bueller, uh, about coming to the symposium and coming out and presenting. Ooh. So, you know, we're, uh, we have a symposium in Austin, Texas, the premier podcast or the premier symposium in strength in, conditioning in, in Texas in, in, in Texas, December. December. And, that would uh, be awesome. Yeah, so yeah, we'd uh, love I, to have you, man. I, I asked Doc uh, about coming out and uh, being able to, you know, we we're going to have three, four hundred people this 250 year. Two hundred fifty to three hundred. Three hundred people. Uh, we're going to have not only lecture, but we're going to have some practicals and some stuff. And so, um, and it's in December in Austin. And uh, I talked to Doc about, you know, not only coming on the podcast, but coming. Uh, Inkladon will be there. Tom and uh, Doc Christie have presented, and pretty much I think Tom's been. I think he's been every every everyone mm-hmm. back when it was like twelve people in my gym who we just brought together to you know yeah, hang, hang out, out and lift yeah. some weights mm-hmm. and um and make everybody feel bad yeah <laughs> it's uh it's a good time and uh yeah so i'm I'm excited to have you come out and uh uh you know introduce more people to you and like let the you know this big really in, really killer group of extraordinary gentlemen and peoples that we've put together Mm -hmm. so much so that if you notice all of our power athlete block one coaches are now Tom's employees. He only hires out of our (laughs) talent pool. So it was funny. I walked into the office and I'm like, these are all my guys. And Tom's like, Oh yeah, we only hire your people. He's like, I, I go to your symposium to cherry pick new people. I'm like, Oh, thank yeah, God. You're a great source for new employees. That's, you <laughs> train, then he hires him away. Yeah, it's good because it just, you know, we, we demand a high caliber individual. So yeah, uh, I think you'll, you'll, you'll fit in and uh, I'll be stoked to see you and uh, have you come out to Texas. Yeah, I'll have uh, we'll, we'll reach out and coordinate everything for you, doc. Okay. So expect maybe an email either later today or, or tomorrow. And okay. That'd be great. Sort of- That'd be fun. So. And thanks, thank you so much for taking the time uh, in between, you know, your 200 vials of blood to at least come chat with us. And uh, I guess, do you think he was sitting on that 
uh, that new fancy chair Dr. Tom has the whole oh, time? yesterday. Uh, that was cool. And then so I did, did 20,000 sit-ups laying on a table like I, dying. I did <laughs> that I did that too. And uh, the funnier part is uh, Tom's like, oh, it's great. It's going to, uh, you know, uh, tighten up all your Kegel muscles. And I was like, uh, I don't think I have those the same way a woman does. And Tom's like, ah, oh, don't worry about it. It'll tighten up your prostate. And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> so it's, uh, it, it's like a chair you sit in, and it has, uh, it's kind of like an it's, EMS. It's magnetic, right? It's magnetic yeah. because, so it's kind of similar to like an EMS in that it gets um, muscles to fire, yeah. indiscriminate firing, but it goes much deeper because the magnets go through. So, uh, yeah. So, Craig, that's what you've been sitting on this whole interview? <laughs> I should have been, but I'm not. <laughs> I will. <laughs> awesome, Doc. Well, yeah. thank you very much. I appreciate you taking the time, and I look forward to seeing you soon. All right. Thanks, you guys. Yes, sir. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Doc. Drop on, drop on, drop on. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. You heard it. Dr. B actually gave out his phone number. That number again is 801-544-2355. That's an absolute first for the show. But if you prefer to get in touch in the modern way, you can go to amitmethod.com for contact information or just peruse his Instagram page at amitmethod. Until next time, bye!